Aloha, guys, and welcome back to the Vicious Cycle Whiskey, Women, and Water podcast. I'm your host, Kenton Gear, coming to you from Kona, Hawaii. I am sorry that it has taken so long to get back to you guys, but I have been putting a lot of time and energy into uh, working on improving this podcast uh, audibly and um, visually, and I am hoping that uh, the difference comes through to you folks, and it's appreciated. Um, Since the last time we posted a podcast, uh, which was all the way back in August, uh, we have really tried to up our game. We are now streaming. Um, we've, well, I should say we, we, we've gotten pretty much two streams up, uh, on YouTube, uh, at Kenton Ocean, which are, it's a good start, but, uh, we had a lot of failures, uh, up until that point to get there, uh, problems in encoders, problems with switcher. And when I say problems, a lot of it was just compatibility stuff. Also me learning it, um, you'll find that even on uh, today's podcast, which was our first stream uh, with a guest, I did one uh, the day before uh, just as a test run to see how it went, and uh, really that one went better visually, uh, but the second one, even on this podcast, I'm not sure exactly what happened, but at one point, uh, my green screen uh, turned from having fish in the background to just being straight up green, and... I was kind of fearful to hit too many buttons during the actual podcast and maybe just blow the whole thing. So it's a learning process, and I'm going to continue to work on it. Um, I want to thank you guys for your patience uh, during that uh, time frame. I got a lot of really nice messages and people reaching out uh, saying, hey, when's another podcast coming? I really like your content. So that means a lot to me. It's really cool to know that uh, there's people out there listening and um, that some of the content or – most of the content in our niche anyways is appreciated. So thank you guys very much. Thank you very much for bearing with me. Um, I hope that the uh, difference in the audio is noticeable and appreciated because I, I, I hear it. And to me, um, it's much more uh, uh, m- much more ear friendly. Uh, so hopefully that translates on to whatever you are listening uh, today, uh, his first guest is Jerry Gilgren, or Gilgren, and uh, Jerry is a commercial fisherman from the Gila side uh, who originally comes from California. He has been my backbone on uh, all of the updates and um, all of the new equipment. He has originally a audiovisual background. Uh, so he has been extremely helpful and been helping me through uh, the growing pains on this. And uh, it's been really, really appreciated. Uh, since the last time we talked, I, uh, I was on a trip on the East Coast, um, which is where we did our uh, last podcast with That Salty Blonde, uh, the Viking diver, and uh, also... Oh, man, I feel bad. Uh, I can't remember her boyfriend's uh, Instagram right off the top of my head, but he doesn't post much, so he won't be too upset at me. Um, You can find his name in the link on my Instagram account. Um, Since we've talked, I I came back. I went out. We had a a great trip, absolutely smashed them, and uh, it was the best trip I've had on the, uh, the new boat, so that was awesome. Uh, we turned and burned right back out 
hoping to cash in on that again and uh had a terrible trip the conditions just completely changed uh the the current got all messed up uh the piles just weren't around i couldn't get on them uh no matter what i did i just couldn't i just couldn't find them and then when i did find them uh they were too small uh or um they were either too small or they just wouldn't bite see what happens a lot of times in our fishery anyways is that once you keep a certain amount of fish, right, the clock is ticking. And so you can't just go taking a whole bunch of smaller fish early on in a trip um, and expect them to last. Like So typically, we don't keep any of the smaller stuff we sell until the very end of the trip, unless we make the determination right off the bat that, okay, there's enough happening here that we are going to just go for it and be done within a couple of days. Basically, once you make the decision that you're going to keep smaller ahi, you, the, the clock is ticking. And so, um, what you know, what happened on my second trip, thinking that I was going to get into them again, uh, I'd say about the uh, first two days weren't very good. On the third day, uh, I had a little window there to put the hammer down on some, and I did, and then uh, it dried up. And so, basically, we scraped... A few more fish uh, the following uh, day and a half, and then it was time to go because at the end of the day, uh, that smaller ahi just do not have the shelf life a larger fish have. And um, for those of you that are listening that don't know this, uh, handline fish and trolling caught fish already have a shorter shelf life than, uh, say, like a longline fish because of the process in which they are caught. Um because when you take a trolling caught fish or a trolling or, or a handline caught fish, when we are harvesting them, the lactic acid uh, in their muscles is at its absolute highest point. Because you're taking a fish, it's struggling, um, it's under a lot of duress, and so when you're taking it and you're harvesting it, uh, unless you swim it or uh, hydro bleed every fish with a hose. Uh, the fish is what you would consider very hot. And so um, that is one of the reasons why, if you see some of my videos, one of the things that we do to counter this, and I didn't, I, I'll be the first to admit that I am not the one who discovered this. This is just from my research and learning over the years. But basically what we do when we first catch the fish, we actually let them stage for a little bit before we ice them. Um, because what you want to do, right, and, and basically that number is about 25 minutes uh, daytime. Uh, you know, in colder environments, it's closer to like 45 minutes to an hour, which blows a lot of people's mind. But in Hawaii, it's about 25 minutes, maybe 30 minutes that you want to stage your fish. And the reason that is, is that when you take a smoking hot fish and you put it directly on ice, uh, although the fish's brain is disconnected, the nervous system just like in ours our spine is still intact so even though the brain can be shut down from whether you spiked it or 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 you hit it on the back right or you hit it with a bat to make it die um what ends up happening is that the nerves in its system uh when it hits ice send out a signal from its spine saying oh i'm cold and so the body will naturally send out the heating, like, you know, the lactic acid to heat that area. And what ends up happening is that's what we get. It's called ice burn or crown burn, uh, which a lot of times is wrongly associated um, 
with not enough ice, where in reality, most, most burn of that caliber is actually created by putting a fish on the ice too fast, which is counterintuitive to people that don't understand the process with, with, with tunas. But uh, it, it's one of those things, like I'll see people that will, will say something on one of my videos, like, oh, those fish are mush and da-da-da-da-da. Oh, they're all getting sunburned. Trust me. I, there's nobody who cares more about the product that's coming off my boat. I religiously watch the time. We have a system, and we probably should post some videos and stuff but of, of how that works. But, you know, for the most part, processing fish for most people, it's not something you're going to want to watch. It's kind of boring. Um, so, But we have a systematic system where we go through that. And, and the other thing, and as long as we're talking about burning, uh, you know, a lot of times the quality of the fish – as a fisherman, your job is to maintain the quality of the fish when it's caught. You can't truly improve it. You can maintain it, but you can't really improve it. You can bleed it, ice it, spike it, do all these different things to, to maintain it, but you can't really improve it. So let's say that you do everything perfectly, right? And, and many of us do. You're still going to have X amount of losers uh, in the batch just because of the nature of the fish themselves. Because fish quality, and again, we're talking tunas here, right? But I, I mean, I should say, though, I take pride in every fish, okay? I take tons of pride in every fish, whether it is a small fish or a 100-pounder. My philosophy is that somebody's going to eat that fish, and I'm going to honor and cherish each fish because a 10-pound fish to a local may be as prized as, say, you know, a $60 three-ounce slab of sashimi uh, to somebody in a fancy sushi restaurant. So my thought process is that I, tra- I treat every fish exactly the same, honor it completely, um, because at the end of the day, it's feeding somebody, right? I mean, maybe that's going to be somebody's first introduction to your product, and you don't want them to have a lousy fish. Maybe it's somebody's final meal. I mean, you never know. Maybe it's – this is the thing that really is interesting about when you harvest food, right? Is that uh, – think of how many times I've, you catch something. And it, it, in, in my case, I mean, we've been at graduations, weddings, uh, funerals, uh, the, all these different things that bond the community. And, you know, although I'm not physically there, a product that I take a lot of pride in is. So um, – I try to treat every fish like that. Uh, another thing about that, and, and I'm going on a side tangent here, but you know, uh, one thing that kills me, and it's no disrespect to the East Coast fishermen, because I love you guys and I'm originally from there, the videos of watching tuna fish flapping on the decks are really hard for me because so much of a tuna fish's quality um, it, it, it is the abuse it takes versus the boat because their bodies aren't designed to, uh, to bang off things, hit off things. And so you get bruising and that's where you get soft. Um, you get soft spots and, uh, uh, you know, dents and things like that. And at that point, it's a kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy that you're only going to get X amount of quality out of your fish. Now I know the thought process for some people I've heard it like, ah, the charters don't care. They're just going to, they're, they're just going to cut it, and, you know, they're like, we don't even cut it. A cutter cuts it up on the top of the, you know, of the pier and everything. But my thought is, why not try to always deliver the best fish? And, and, and not only just for your customers, but also for honoring the fish, 
and as a um, a sign of you know this is your life, you know this is your work. So like when somebody gets a piece of fish that comes off your boat, you, you want it to be a direct reflection of you. I see a few guys out of California. Um, they have really upped uh, their quality compared to uh, some other guys. I've been really impressed with that. Um, we see, uh, and, and this is like with bigger models, for example, too. I, I see that they're swimming them, bleeding them. Uh, Langucci, uh, you know, it, it, which is which is basically the uh, style of where you spike the tuna uh, or any fish. It's any fish. Basically, it means. Uh, it, it, it translates like in, in Japanese to like intention or uh, uh, with intent. So basically, it's uh, the idea is it's killing with a purpose, meaningful. And what that process does is once you hit the uh, the fish, you put a spike in uh, in its brain, and that disconnects the brain from working. But what it also does is it opens up a uh, a hole directly into the spinal cavity. And they take a rod, or in our case, we use monofilament uh, mostly, and you run it down uh, the fish's spine. And when you get it just right, uh, you'll feel it going down, and you can it, it will run down. And you're, what you're doing in that process as you're getting it down its spine is you're disconnecting those nerves that I was talking about. Uh, you're disconnecting those nerves that send that signal when it touches the ice that says, hey, hey, I'm cold. Or you know, and then ends up doing the ice burn. Now, we don't do that on every fish we catch. We do that on most every fish over uh, thirty pounds, um, because around thirty pounds is where you start to really see a uh, jump in quality, um, where you can see, uh, you know, you see like true sashimi grade stuff on the low end starts around thirty, you know. Some people think, you know, it really depends on what your market is, right? But some people, they only want to fish, you know, over 80 pounds or, or, or whatever, regardless. But what we do is every fish over 30 pounds, we do that process. And um, even sometimes if we have the time, high 20s. But if we're catching, like, super high volume, we're only batting them, uh, bleeding them. And uh, then uh, after staging them, uh, Brian... We, you know, gill and gut everything, scrub them out. We have a scrub brush. Uh, we put a hose um, in, the, in the, uh, the stomach cavity, scrub them out, and then we put everything in ice, and um, we put them initially in a, uh, a thick brine, and then we are consistently adding more ice into that brine um, so that, and this is super important, uh, super, super important if you want your fish to look gorgeous when, you, when you're unloading them. Uh, especially if you're on a multi-day trip, the trick is that you don't want any uh, like kinetic. You don't want any um, energy going back and forth. And what I mean by that basically is sloshing, right? So you don't want your fish sloshing at all. The art of brine is to have your fish so tight that they're fully submerged and not moving. And so a big part of your job, if you're using just uh, you know icy brine, is a you want your brine thick, right? So the fish aren't moving. And B, I, I keep pumping off the top, uh, which is called, we call it the sweet water, which is basically just straight blood. It's the brine. Um, the, whole, the whole art to fish handling really starts the second you, you gaff it, right? And, and, and for some of you guys that are bluefin tuna fishermen, 
you're going to have a different process, obviously. Uh, swimming is a big part of what you do. Um, but for the guys out there that are listening, that are catch high volume of yellowfin and big eye and things like that myself, what you, these are the things that you can do to improve your quality uh, once the fish is in the boat um, and just try to maintain the quality the best that you can, right? So um, I highly recommend that uh, to everyone. Um, it, I know it's a little counterintuitive at first, but uh, st- oh, and one of the tricks too, uh, if you're staging the fish before it hits ice, uh, the, the trick is to keep it damp, right? So you don't want anything to get sunburnt. Um, so don't let a video on the internet that is a minute and 30 seconds long <laughs> fool you that the fish that we're putting on the deck aren't being properly handled, right? So this is one of those naive things that people have. Like it, and it may be because they just don't understand how much fish we can put on the deck. But literally, if you can catch a couple thousand pounds at at a time, like like I like I like we do in our fishery, um, you know, a, a few minute long video doesn't even come close to showing the actual process. So um, don't. I, I think sometimes when people talk about fish quality and stuff, they just, it's very easy when you look at the internet, it's very, very easy for someone to judge a video or something without knowing the full context of how much somebody cares about it, how much they, you know, that product they love. You know, I, I saw some terrible comments on uh, a YouTube video that I, I posted about all this stuff about, you know, commercial fishermen don't give a damn. They just, they don't put ice on their fish and all this stuff. And I thought, man, these people don't know us at all. They have no idea, and, uh, you know, it's hard because who's got the time to write back to every comment from every hater? I certainly don't, uh, especially if the comment's made in another part of the world at some awkward time, and I'm out fishing. So I'm doing my best here, but uh, that whole side rant, I guess I'm just saying that uh, try and do your best, you know, try and deliver the highest quality uh, product you can. And I think that it will uh, reflect higher on you. Uh, it reflects higher on our industry, um, uh, sport fishing and charter fishing. Uh, the nicer the fish that you can put in front of people, I think the better understanding that uh, outsiders can have of what we do. Um, you know, I think sometimes people get disconnected when they just, you know, they think canned tuna and, but, you know, the higher quality fish you can deliver, I really think that's a great reflection of, uh, of your skills as well. You know, I think that's a big part of it. Uh, it goes right back down to, like, on charter boats where, you know, a person goes out for a day and then let's say, you, fl- you know, the deckhand fillets a fish. Well, you want the highest quality fillet that you can, and right? And so you pay all this money to go out on a charter. You don't want to get something that looks like it was, uh, you know, looks like it was cut with a with a chainsaw you 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 know you want that fish that you have those fillets to take home to be something that is a really nice presentation and something to be proud of and that's why better deckhands and better crews get better tips like when they're able to present a a better package and it doesn't take a whole lot more to get there it just takes a commitment uh, to your craft and, and being passionate about what you're doing and not thinking of, uh, of it as just another day. And, uh, maybe it's just because I'm obsessed with fishing. I think like this, and maybe my thought process is a little bit broken, 
um, because you know my whole life is is fishing, and that that's how I look at it. But uh, I think any of us that have been around the docks long enough that sees people that have seen or, or, or witnessed people that are really good at their job and really passionate around their job, those are the people you want to be around, right? I mean, those are those are the people you want to go fishing with. Those are the people that ninety nine percent of the time get the job done. And 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 I think it's that passion and that attention to detail that makes it the reason that those guys uh get the job done so that's uh that's my little rant on that i'm not even sure that i initially covered what i was going over there with but uh oh i got yeah so that second trip that was what it was so the second trip uh you know basically we ran out of time versus uh the shelf life we had to sell them um then i had to go in i had to be dad i had my kids for uh for the week and then went back out and i had uh, my even biggest trip yet on the new boat so i've had some been really blessed so i had great trip real slow trip great fish great trip and honestly it all evened out to being a really good uh really good august so uh i was really really happy with that the crew's happy with that uh they're kind of they're not so happy right now we're we're sitting around. Uh, we're tied up right now. I had the kids this week, and then I've got uh, a trip pre-planned and some boat upgrades uh, coming in at the end of the month. Uh, it's time to improve some of the box lids and stuff. Some working on some things that uh, should have been uh, completed initially, but when I first bought the boat, as a lot of you got owner operators can relate to, I didn't have the finances at the time. So uh, now that uh, I've had the boat for a couple years, um, and we've had some uh, steady flow. It's time to address some of those things where they could use upgrades uh, and uh, or you know just to make life a little bit easier for the crew, redoing some of the hatches and the lids. And then I'm also uh, putting a new radar on. Um, during COVID, that was incredibly, incredibly hard to find. Apparently, there's uh, issues with microchips and things like that. Uh, and then they just they just weren't available, and so I finally got uh, finally got a new one, and uh, looking forward to trying that out and see how it goes. So, uh, yep, I'm gonna be uh, I'm gonna be on a trip, and then I uh, got some boat work. So this month, um, maybe I'll be able to grab a couple uh, impromptu podcasts in my travels if I come across some fishermen that are willing to talk, uh, be in a few different locations. So uh, hopefully I'll see some of you guys out there. Uh, thanks again for everything. Thanks again for listening. And, um, oh, huge shout-out to Kevin uh, on the Northern Lights, uh, which is at Hawaii Fishing. If you're looking uh, on Instagram or uh, Northern Lights Fishing on sport f- on uh, on Facebook, Uh I want to thank him again. Uh, since we last spoke, we had our winner of the Vicious Cycle Whiskey Women in Water podcast, uh, a young lady from the East Coast, I believe Connecticut, named Juanita, uh, won the trip, and she'll be coming out here for five days and uh, five, five nights at the Sheridan Hotel here uh, in uh, Kona, Hawaii, and be fishing three days aboard the Northern Lights with uh, Captain Kevin and me, as their crew, um, I believe she's bringing her, it's either her boyfriend or her fiance, William. Um, and then if you look on my Instagram page, uh, at, at uh, Vicious Cycle Fishing, 
Um, you can see a list of uh, the other three uh, winners that got the, uh, the, the, the photo contest packages. And then uh, there was 54 prizes total. I haven't got the whole list of everyone that won swag and shirts up because some of the people that entered um, haven't gotten back to me. And so um, I used a third party to do all the drawings. And so I'm, what I'm planning on doing is if uh, those people don't get back to me by the end of October with a mailing address, then we're just going to choose someone else uh, and uh, we'll get everything out that was set aside for the um, contest. So uh, if you um, entered the contest and uh, maybe haven't checked your DMs uh, on Facebook, Instagram, or uh, on your email, if I sent back uh, directly from my website, if you entered from the website, uh, please do that so we can get your swag or uh, limited edition books out to you. All right, guys. Well, let's get into it. Uh, today's guest, um, I'll let him introduce himself in the uh, in the uh, actual podcast, but uh, this comes off our stream. This comes off our YouTube stream. This was recorded yesterday. Um, please let me know what you think. All right. Aloha. Hey, guys. Welcome to the uh, Vicious Cycle. I know. Keep my eyes ahead. Well, welcome to the uh, Vicious Cycle Whiskey, Women, and Water podcast. Uh, Excited! This is our first uh, live stream with a guest, uh, and uh, only our second live stream. But excited! Uh, hopefully, um, you guys will appreciate uh, the audio quality. And she's just gonna—you know what? I'm just gonna put the camera over to our guest Jerry. He's just telling me to focus, <laughs> and uh, maybe we can—you uh, know—yeah. Why don't you introduce yourself, Jerry? Uh, okay, so I'm Jerry Gilgren. Uh, live over on the Hilo side of uh, Hawaii Island, and. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I try to be a fisherman, I guess. Um, I, I, I don't know what else you want to know about me. <laughs> well, Jerry, maybe you can uh, tell our the people, you know, a little bit, first of all, like why you're telling me where to look and everything, maybe a little bit about your background and what you've been doing with me and, you know, you know. Well, well okay. In, in a nutshell, uh, basically... Helped him get his equipment set up for live broadcast. Um, he's got some pretty serious equipment here that you guys can't see on the table, but uh, broadcast equipment. Um, I've, my background is audiovisual. I've done it since I was uh, 16 years old. Um, and uh, uh, he called me over and said, Hey, Jerry, I might need a little help with my live streaming stuff. And uh, I said, Okay, well... So I came over and took a look at it, and I went, oh, shit, okay, <laughs> you got some live streaming stuff here. <laughs> so I, I just held his hand and said, uh, all right, well, we'll walk through this uh, journey together, and um, we'll get you up and running. And uh, with a little bit of equipment from my studio and stuff that he had uh, purchased, uh, we, we put it together, and here it is. It's working. Awesome. Yeah. I think you're being uh, a little modest, though, honestly, as far as what you have done, because really when I called you, I said, hey, man, I'm, I'm fucked. I've got all this <laughs> shit, and uh, it's just like a paperweight right now. I don't have my screen, though. Oh, oh okay, so, okay, yeah, okay, yeah, all right. You're the man on the screen right now. So so just, just making sure. You know, yeah, it's, yeah. It, you got to practice it. But Right. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, there's a certain protocol you use for broadcast as far as, you know, 
where to look when they're interviewing you, the cameras and that kind of stuff. So I'm just trying to help him along because he hasn't done live broadcasts before like this. Um, and uh, I want him to be successful, you know. Uh, he's a great guy. Kenton's, uh, you know, he's the man. Yeah. What can I say? Yeah, I really appreciate that. <laughs> so, uh, Jerry, as much as I appreciate uh, the fact that you've, you know, you've, you've been setting this up, uh, let's talk about your fishing career. That's what, okay. that's what we do uh, here. Yeah. And uh, All right. tell, t- tell us about your past, man. Tell us. Uh, well, okay. So, yeah, I, I, I got the bug, of course, you know, like most young boys do when their dad takes them fishing. I do remember my first experience. It was, uh, so I'm, I'm from Southern California, Long Beach area. And uh, my dad would uh, take me up. I remember the first trip was four years old. Uh, he took me up to Big Bear Lake in his uh, little 14-foot aluminum boat. And uh, I remember I was just like, I couldn't stand it. I was so excited. Uh, so we get up there, and, and of course, you know, we're, uh, we're fishing, and I caught my first bluegill, man. You know, four years old, that was it. And uh, I was hooked ever since. So um, he'd take me fishing. We'd go together uh, out of uh, San Pedro. And we'd go to Horseshoe Kelp, uh, try for calico bass, you know, sheephead. Um, and I remember he had this one spot in uh, Los Angeles Harbor. And uh, it was actually part of the naval base that was there. And, you know, today they would shoot you if you were fishing uh, around uh, that area. But I can remember... Gosh, probably eight years old, just motoring across the bay, and it seemed like it was an eternity to get to the fishing grounds. Um, small area, uh, you know, mind you, this is a fourteen-foot aluminum boat and a nine-point-nine Evinrude, right? And you know, full blast. Seemed like it took you know days to get to this place. Anyways, it was probably somewhere around an hour of motoring, and. Um, it was a guaranteed halibut uh, catch, and so I can remember just sitting there with him, letting the the breeze kind of, you know, push us along, and watching the the tip of the pole just go tink 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 tink, and then uh, you know let the line out a little bit, and and then pull up on it, set the hook, and boom, we would catch uh, California halibut like like it was going out of style, man, back then. I mean, we're talking in the in the 70s here. You know, that I'm dating myself, of course, but um, you know, uh, fishing has always been a part of my life. Um, I can I can remember just taking a pole, going surf casting, and uh, fishing off of Bolsa Chica Beach and Huntington Beach, and just uh, fond memories, definitely. And um, you know, we'd go out. Uh, I can remember you know, 12, 13 years old, my dad would uh, throw me in a car one o'clock in the morning and we'd drive all the way up to uh, Oxnard, uh, Ventura area, uh, Port Wyneme. And I, can rem- I, can, I remember the, the name of the boat to this day. It was the Spitfire. And uh, we'd go on a boat for a, a one-day fishing trip all the way out to uh, Channel Islands. We'd fish Anacapa Island and, you know, um, the heck is that... Uh, Santa Rosa Island out there and, and just load up on, you know, the Boccaccio, the, the you know, barber poles, we'd call them, you know, rockfish, uh, the occasional um, uh, black sea bass, you know, which they're protected. And uh, had a great time, you know. Uh, and so throughout the years, I just fished and fished and um, 
recently, I uh, I would say probably 2016, I uh, would start doing some charters out of uh, San Francisco Bay and uh, Bodega Bay and go out for like uh, salmon, halibut, um, lingcod up uh, north of Bodega and uh, do combo trips, you know, Dungeness crab season and uh, rockfish and uh, always seem to always seem to catch them. I mean, it was uh, uh, I always seem to want to make sure that uh, my guests on board were taking home some fish. So uh, yeah, and um, yeah. So you kind of left that out. You kind of went from uh, recreationally with your father to yeah. the fact that you at are in fact a professional. You have a captain's license and you took well. you take people on charters. Okay. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Well. So, so what what made that trans what what made that transition? When did that happen? Where you said like, hey, I want to do this, you know, for, for a living versus just doing it for fun? Well, so you know, I I was just getting sick and tired of the grind, and um, you know, I, mind you, I, I did a part time, but still, um, I needed something to uh, take me away, and uh, I I love taking people fishing. I love showing them how much fun it could be and, and just seeing the joy in their eyes when they're pulling up that, you know, 20 pound, 25 pound link cod or something. And uh, it, it was just, uh, it makes me feel good. It makes me, and so, uh, you know, doing that more and more just made me want to do it more and more. And um, so, um, yeah, I mean, <coughs> here, and, and this happened on a whim. Um, I, I was just happened to looking at some boats here, uh, I don't know, back in 2018. How, how did you find like, yourself, like, okay, so how did you find yourself fishing in California to you being in my living room studio <laughs> today? Like, wh wh where was the, where's the transition on that? Well, so, all right, so I'll back up. Uh, back in 2000, I made my first trip um, with my wife at that time to the Big Island, and um, I just absolutely fell in love with it. I felt such a connection to the island that uh, I couldn't deny. So ever since um, then, you know, got a house um, and, you know, stayed in the house and, and did our thing and went back and forth to California because, you know, that's where we l lived uh, f for most of the time. And um, <coughs> so, you know, I, I always loved uh, this area, and I hadn't really fished for um, – you know, like yellowfin tuna, marlin, that kind of thing, because uh, I, I never really had the money to go down, uh, you know, to Guatemala or out to Florida or, you know, uh, even San Diego for the multi-day trips uh, in order to get those fish. So I, it, there was an allure for it, you know, f to me, and, and uh, just kind of shifted my thinking over to, okay, well, if I'm going to be on an island um, and – you know, there's lots of lots of fish, lots of these great fish out here, um, and I could help feed some of these people on the island. Then I'm gonna do it. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's that's basically how I ended up over here, and um, you know, doing what I'm doing. Um, and uh, yeah, in 20, 2018, I found a boat, a uh, commercial fishing boat, 23 foot uh, Radovich. And the irony of it is, is that. When I was uh, 16, I had my first boat, I remember. I was working at Carl's Jr. Um, fast food. And I saved up and I saved up. And I bought this boat. It was an insurance total. And it was a 23-foot Glastron, um, 1978. And I spent every 
every moment I could fixing that thing up. And I ended up uh, towing it to a yard where they were building these boats. And they let me keep the boat there. There was, you know, probably 30 boats in this boat yard, um, as well as the manufacturing facility for the boats. And it was Radovich Boatworks uh, out of Wilmington. And they uh, built commercial fishing boats. Um, and this is, again, this is back in 19, gosh, yeah, 1985, I guess it was. And so, anyways, I... Uh, Fast forward to 2018, I'm just kind of looking around Craigslist, and I see this 32-foot Radovich for sale. And I'm like, no, nah, no way. So I remember they would uh, let me go in the facility and watch them lay glass and um, you know, spl spray the gel coat on and, and basically just build a boat from, you know, right from the mold. And uh, it was just fascinating to me. And that's, I learned an awful lot from these guys uh, on glassing and fabrication. Um, anyways, um, yeah, fast forward 2018, 2019, bought the boat. Uh, it sits in Wailoa Harbor over in Hilo. And, of course, I had to do a ton of work to it. Um, you know, I had to take out all of the stupid wire nuts that the previous um, owner had put in. And, uh, man, I, mu I must have ripped out miles of wiring and just redid everything best uh, that I could. Unfortunately, I, I'm an electrician too, so <laughs> kind of helped, uh, you know, having, uh, having that knowledge. So rewired everything, put 12-volt systems in, um, and uh, got it running really good. Put some, you know, put some tweaky things in there like uh, cameras and, um, you know, uh, shortwave radio, that kind of stuff. So uh, I just want to make sure that if I was going to be out there uh, 100 miles out or something, I want to be able to talk to somebody so um, and I remember on you uh, you were talking about um, satellite uh, service out there yeah you said iridium was really expensive right yeah yeah and because uh, I've been looking at the the little texting deals I was actually talking about those yesterday yeah yeah, the, yeah. Uh, the Garmin inReach yeah inReach yeah yeah that's it um, I was looking at the Zolio Zoleo I don't know how you pronounce it but uh, the Garmin had some pretty good reviews on it but Anyways, I, as I digress, um, fishing, um, I can remember going out for the first time in, in Joe Von Lee, that's the name of the boat, and uh, just feeling that freedom, just that, that feeling of, oh my God, I'm back on the water, yeah, this is where I need to be. So, uh, so yeah, and then um, frickin' uh, January 2020, uh, we drove the boat over from Hilo to Kona, um, did a haul out, and uh, started feeling kind of weird on the way over. Now, mind you, it's a 13-hour steam from Hilo. And right. uh, I can remember, like, feeling like a ton of bricks had just fallen on me, and I was curled up down in the, uh -oh. in the, <laughs> in the cabin. Uh-oh. And I'm like, oh, my God, what the hell is going on? Well, yeah. Uh, it turns out it was COVID, Oof. and not a good thing. You know, we didn't know back then. This is we're talking. This is even before they released this information on the news that oh, there's this new virus out there and it's really bad. Uh, well, yeah, I it was about six days worth of coughing crap up the size of uh, small states, and um, man, I tell you, it, it was not fun. Hard breathing. I, I I can I can remember not being able to taste things, and 
Yeah, uh, but survived that. Unfortunately, I gave it to my crew, so they all had it. Oh. Um, <laughs> well, that is what yeah. happens, right? Yeah. I mean, right? Uh, but you know, we all survived it, and um, so, yeah, so there you go. And um, so since then, I mean, kind of been dead in the water because uh, obviously as Kenton has experienced um, the uh, fish market uh, just isn't what it was. They're not buying the fish that they used to and definitely not paying the prices. So, um, yeah, so it's it's been a pretty s – it's, it's been a struggle for us, real, well, real struggle. Well, maybe you would care to share, too, your biggest – I find this not fascinating, but one of the things about boat ownership that you just never, ever know yeah. what's going to happen. Yeah. But uh, yeah. recently – um, your whole ordeal with uh, your whole ordeal with well, I think you're probably better off to tell it, but basically, it correct me if I'm wrong, a car hit your boat, is that right? <laughs> yeah, I can't, I can't make this shit up, man. Um, <laughs> if I didn't have shit luck, I would have no shit, no luck at all. Yeah. Okay. So, well, let's let's rewind it back to October of uh, hell, October of no, November of 2020. I get a call two in the morning. The call that you never want to get. Hey, uh, you're pregnant. Your, your boat. Oh. Yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> well, that's, that's the second worst. Oh, oh. But we're talking about boat ownership, right? Oh yeah. Oh, the real bad phone call. The real bad. Phone the real call. bad phone call. Hey, your boat. Uh, your boat doesn't look real good. It looks like it's sitting low in the water. Oh my God. Yeah, so the shaft seal went out and uh, taken on water. And fortunately, we got down there just in time for it to reach the bottom of the uh, engine and uh, took out four of the batteries already. And, um, yeah, brand-new bilge pumps, brand-new bilge uh, floats, uh, to, and everything was energized, but it didn't come on. So we were... Uh, we were shitting bricks, so we just hand pump, and I did have some extra bilge pumps. We wired them directly uh, to the batteries and got it pumped out and dodged a big bullet there, fortunately. Um, but, yeah, here, uh, this the end of June, again, I get another call middle of the day. Hey, uh, you have a second, Jerry? Yeah, what's up? And this is the guy that kind of keeps an eye on things for me down at the boat when I'm not there. He says, yeah, there's been an accident. Um, a car ran in, into your boat. I'm like, what? No. He says, yeah. Yeah, this car was uh, heading up towards the main road and veered off, went through the parking lot, went in between a telephone pole and some yellow pipe, uh, you know, to prevent, prevent people from going off the dock from the parking lot. Blew through those. Uh, careened across the stern of my boat and then landed in the harbor. Um, Ugh. Yeah. Yeah, it was covered on the news. So you can look that up. I mean, Honolulu News covered it. It was uh, not hilarious at the time, but I look back and I'm going, yeah, it's only me that this kind of shit can happen to. <laughs> so, so myself having dealt with quite a bit of insurance stuff over the years which yeah. not stuff that you like doing who in theory covers a boat and car head on head or 
stern on uh, front collision. How, how does that work exactly? Who's responsible for paying for it when a car hits the boat? Is that the car insurance that's, or does the boat cover that? That's the car insurance. They said to me, well, you might want to call your boat insurance. I'm like, uh, no, I don't think so. This is this isn't caused by my insurance or myself. Uh, this is 100% your liability. And uh, so, yeah, it's uh, State Farm. But and your boat was in the way. My boat was in the way of wherever this car was going, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I kid you not. This is this is just, I can't make this shit up. It's just unbelievable. So what, what ended up happening to the driver of that car? So, yeah, he landed in the water, and these guys had gotten my... Um, my rope, my dock ropes, and, and tied up uh, the car so it wouldn't sink, right? And the guy's unconscious, you know? And so the police came. They jumped on in, in the harbor. They jumped on the car, busted the window out, pulled this guy out, still unconscious. And uh, long story short, he was, he was DUI. He was driving under the influence and fell asleep. So, yeah. Um, so, uh, so I'm working, working with State Farm right now to try to get through this. So did that guy actually have insurance? Yeah, oh. it, it was remarkable. That is remarkable. Yeah, um, yeah, we had an incident where uh, our Xterra, our SUV, uh, was hit and totaled out by someone with no driver's license and no insurance. Um, and I'm like, okay, well, is this going to be a repeat of that? Uh, that, fortunately, wasn't the case. So this guy had insurance. And it looks like it's going to cover it. Um, I don't know how much BS I'm going to have to go through. But, I mean, it's taken, what, since June, the end of June till last week just for the police to get the report uh, submitted and released. So you can see how quickly the police work over here. <laughs> and, um, well, at least they're working on it. That, well, th- that's yeah. more than it happens a lot of times, well, honestly, right? Yeah, that's true. I mean. But but the fact of the matter is, is uh, when I called them to get the report, which was like five weeks ago, four weeks ago, they said, uh, and what's your name? I said, uh, Jerry Gilgren, I should be on a report. I don't see your name anywhere on the report. I'm like, well, I talked to officer when he called me, gave him all my contact information, and I'm not in a report. And the lady says, nope. I'm sorry. So there was a whole ordeal with me having to contact the officer so that he could review, get my name on there, get my information. I mean, it is just... So you couldn't even actually get your police report from a car hitting your boat because they didn't initially put your name on it? That's correct. They didn't put my information on it. They Mm. took my statement, you know, and... uh, I don't know how this stuff happens, but it, it's just, it's its one thing I'm learning about the island is that things just, um, they just, sometimes they're just not right. <laughs> they just don't work. Well, Broken. one thing I can tell you from over the years in Hawaii is that the a lot of it has to do with the rules are never the same. So yeah. depending on who is in the office that day is what is going to determine what the rules are for you or who's on duty or i mean the harbor i think we've had these conversations before the state harbor is like that's an amazing thing like literally uh every day or it's every every time there's a staff change there's a new set of rules so like you know like one thing that you weren't allowed to do for years in the harbor the next day someone else is doing it and yeah it just it's 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 in constant flux 
And uh, I, I guess that's one thing that, that I'm having the hardest thing adjusting to is just, you know, competency. You know, let's, let's do things the way that they were, you know, supposed to be done. But, no, it, it changes from day to day. And, uh, that is the biggest problem. It's just the lack of consistency. I would, I would agree with that. Like, because uh, <laughs> I, I, I definitely don't think that they do. Well, I definitely don't think they do everything better on the mainland. If they did, obviously we would not want to be living in paradise, right? right? But, right, exactly. but I think it, no matter where you're, if you're originally born here or you're a transplant, I think mm -hmm. everyone gets sick of the, uh, the rules changing every day, at yeah. least in like the Harbor department. Yeah. Like I, I, I know we had this conversation off air yep. this already this morning, mm -hmm. but like, so I went to go extend my uh, permit this morning for my temporary mooring where I've got the boat moored. Right, right. And um, it didn't even cross my mind with the new mandates that you might have to have a vaccine card or you either had to have a vaccine card on you <laughs> or a um, uh, or, or a negative covid test from the last 72 hours and, so and who carries a vaccine card with them i mean is that something we're gonna have to do now and keep one in our wallet wherever we go i uh, mean come on apparently Jesus. that's the direction that hawaii has decided to take wow but let's say you're not vaccinated for example right and you want to go in there and you just got in from offshore and you want to go pay for your your your, your mooring fees yeah. uh, do, do you have a three-day do you have a three-day a test no, especially not if you're just out for like five to seven days or right. something like Offshore, that. Offshore, sure. Right. So, I don't, I, I don't, I don't know. It's, I, it didn't even cross my mind though. Like when I went in there, I knew yeah. that Honolulu had been. I knew that in the news they were talking about like some of the restaurants uh, and everything that with the vaccine mandate that you would have to um, present a card. But it didn't even occur to me like the harbor's office. Like I don't even. I I'm, I guess I was naive. I don't even think of that as like a uh, a state office. You know, like right, just, right. It's just like it's in the harbor it's office. Just, it's just so, there. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> anyways, we were able wow. to work around that. They were the people down there have been. Um, you know, all through COVID, you couldn't go in the office anyways right. because right. of that. So everything is done you can do it via email. I just feel bad mostly for the people who work in there. Yeah. Because I would too. it's just like mm -hmm. it's you know i was talking to one of them it's like it's four times as much work for them to do the same thing for yeah. the same pay it's just right. it seems like for me it's just a bigger headache for them really more than anything um except for when it comes down to registration ultimately right. like when it comes to registration you have to physically go in the office to register so you're either gonna have to have your vaccine card right. with you right or you're going to you gotta go take a test and right. get a negative uh, result and oh three God. days before you go in there which I don't know. I, I just nothing I ever thought that I would see in the boating department. And you know what's crazy about this whole thing? And it's not really like a subject to talk about because I'm not like a conspiracy therapist, right, like right, right. one way or the other. Like I just I just do my thing. Right. But, you know, I posted on my story earlier uh, on Instagram that's connected to Facebook. Um, and all it said was um, it simply just said, hey, just a heads up. If you are uh, going to the harbor office. Mm -hmm. You have to have uh, either your vaccine or a negative test. I got a notification on Facebook that it didn't meet the community guidelines, and they took that off the story. Oh, and and nothing God. about that wasn't true. It's 100% true. You had oh, to have, Jesus. but they took it off my <laughs> timeline, and I'm like, well, that's not, that wasn't, there was no agenda there. Like, I wasn't, like, anti-vaccine or anything, but just the, just the fact that it was on there. Yeah. 
Wow. I, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Crazy times, man. And I tell you what, it is crazy times, and um, I don't know. We need fishing. Let's face it. Yeah. You know, you can kind of go and escape the craziness of this world, you know, and just go into your your little zone and um, escape from from some of this ridiculousness and just. Wow. Well, I mean, <laughs> I mean, that's just it. I, I was yeah. thinking to myself, how often, um, how often, uh, <laughs> it, I appreciate the offshore life, like yeah, it, it, the escape of being out on the water. I mean, even if it's just for a limited uh, amount of time, mm-hmm. it's nice just to kind of get away from that craziness, right? You know, I just yeah, I hear you, man. It just it, I get, you need it, you know. I mean, we're we're seamen. Let's face it, you know. We, we've got salt water running through our veins, and uh, it's it's part of who we are. It's it's what makes us uh, who we are. And uh, you know, uh, thank God we have that because let's you know think about some people who don't really have any outlet or anything to you know get away from some of the stuff that we have to deal with on a daily basis. Oh, a hundred percent crazy 100 percent. you know i mean that's not having that escape to the ocean right. i mean so when is your boat when are you gonna be able to escape again <laughs> what, what, what's the timeline that we're looking like oh right now my God. Is that you know i i hope we can get her done before uh the holiday season so we can at least go out and get some you know some bottom some fish some paka paka and whatever for for the holidays because you know that's a big dollar fish during that time of year, and uh, I'm really, really hoping we can uh, do something uh, before then. I know, huh? Sorry about that. No, 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 it's fine. It's fine. You can edit that out, too, you know. Sorry, Jerry. You, you, you can edit that out. Yeah, yeah I can, I but I mean, we're live right no, now. I, I hear you. Yeah, you know, I'm just, just going to, the neighbor's dog uh, got, you know, the, the neighbor's you know, dog got a hold of. Fired up or whatever. Yeah, the neighbor's dog got a hold of a chicken again or <laughs> Muscovy duck, and they're having a party out there. <laughs> so, <laughs> You know, it's funny. You, you don't really think of any noise or, or like, I don't really think of having any noise in my neighborhood yeah. until you go to record something. Yeah, of and, course. And then you realize there's shit like. Yeah. In the background all the time that you just uh-huh. aren't even, you yeah. don't even register. Right, right. right. You're like, just oblivious to it, you know, yeah. most of the time. And then 100%. all of a sudden, here it is, you know, you're trying to, you know, do something like this. And it's like, oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> One of the test runs I did, like, like the neighbor's, like, house alarm, which I've never heard, went off when Vera was on it. Yeah. And then it's just like, yeah. wow. there's some kind of craziness happening at, oh, like, almost... Yeah. Every yeah. every moment, mm. like so, <laughs> pretty wild. Yeah, pretty wild. So, what is the uh, what is the future plan then? Like, uh, yeah. So, uh, do you still have the boat in California? Uh, you know, I do. I, do. She's in storage, and I've debated whether shipping her over would be uh, you know worth it or not. And I'm like, I don't know. You know, the the, the shipping costs have just. They're just astronomical. Yeah, what is that looking like right now? What are you getting for quotes? Oh my God, I got like seventy five hundred bucks, eight grand. Uh, I got like yeah, I got three quotes. One was one was seventy seventy five hundred bucks. One was nine thousand. Uh, the other one was around eight thousand. I'm like Jesus, you know. Is the, that the, the, what's the length overall on your boat? You know, this it's only a twenty two. Twenty two. You know? So so 
So yeah. it has gone up a lot over mm -hmm. the years. It has quite a bit. And, uh, you know, for the age and everything, I mean, it's a great little boat. It's got everything on it. You know, it's got 48-mile radar and, you know, a nice uh, bottom machine and all that stuff, uh, downriggers. And so it's set up, uh, you know, West Coast fishing anyways, which, you know, uh, anybody who knows that type of fishing, if you have an outfit like that, that's a pretty valuable little boat. But, you know, to ship it over here and then, you know, re-gear it, re-outfit it for the fishing over here. Plus, the seas over here are just, they're, they're different. They're much bigger, and, you know, um, it, it's just nice. It's not worth it, so. It's a great boat, though. Yeah, it's a nice little boat, you know. Um, I, I was thinking about, okay, well, if I did ship it over, I'd keep it over in Kona over here so I could have a little Kona runner so that, uh -huh. uh, you know, if, if things are, you know, sparking up over here, I could just drive over and, um, and hit the action over here but uh i i just don't i, I don't think it's going to be worth it well, there you go well, you can keep it in my house yeah okay i, I won't use it that often yeah we can talk <laughs> about that <laughs> <laughs> don't worry i won't put yeah. any <coughs> i won't put any yeah. tear on it <laughs> <laughs> not jared say, wait the hour meter was only at uh, 490 why is it 960 I, now i'm <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure that Marlin Scratch was yeah. on it when uh, when you left the boat. I'm, yeah, I'm, pre yeah. I'm pretty sure, man. I, 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 I mean, I, I didn't even take it out of the yard, you know, so I'm not. Exactly. Uh, oh, man. Classic. Yeah. Yeah. Classic. But that's, you know, that's a great little boat. I, I bought it in 2015 and completely gutted it. Redid all the stringers, redid the deck, and I basically just made it into a fishing boat. You know, I had non-skid uh, decks and a couple of captain's chairs and um, uh, a live well, and it, it's a nice little boat, you know, 22-foot sea ray. But, uh, again, you know, to ship it over here, uh, I don't know. It's it's value versus the cost of shipping. I don't, I, I don't think it's worth it. So, Have you given any thought into going back into charter fishing over here, or you just want to keep it, like, strictly commercial fishing? Have you had, had any thought on yeah, that? Yeah, I... I had thought about getting back into the charter fishing, and, um, you know, initially when I got the boat, I'm like, hey, you know, we could use this for charter and commercial, and uh, I, uh, I quickly realized that it definitely wasn't the boat for charter. Um, when we had it over at uh, Gentry's over here in Kona, um, at Tim Valley, God bless his Oh, soul, yeah. yeah, yeah, man, that, that's a, sh yeah. that's a, that's a terrible story. Yeah, that's a horrible I, story. I, you know, what you know that that's, I I guess I'll have to chime back in on that. Yeah, yeah. I I, yeah. I had seen for those of you who don't know what don't know what we're talking about. Tim was a uh, marine surveyor and yeah. did a lot of the underwater, um, like not. <laughs> I don't know what you want to call it, like the like the dive work, like on yeah. on the props and things like that. Bottom cleaning, it, like right. primarily bottom cleaning. I mean, Ray Kelly is kind of the harbor go to guy who's been there mm -hmm. forever. Yeah. Uh, but Tim had gotten into that and he was a marine surveyor. And my understanding is he there was a, I actually knew him from yoga too. He like oh, wow. yeah yeah he was he was like wow yeah he was yeah. like pretty fit and like pretty like uh, pretty into yoga like way more advanced mm -hmm. than me. Although you know I have to say not 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 to knock the the dead or anything but he wore those yoga pants you know yeah. what i mean where i'm not like you know like i like yeah. yoga but i just like i, have, I, I mean, won't I, cross that line <laughs> yeah 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 like i yeah. I, I mean i'm into it but like right. you know, i'm just not sure that i'm yoga pants yeah. into it yeah, you know yeah, what i mean yeah, but anyways yeah. that's total side note like right. uh, you know rest in peace and everything but yeah i had heard that he had gotten hit by a, he had a uh, he had got 
a hit and run. But then recently I saw that they're actually looking for information. I guess the amount of injuries on him uh, did not like coincide with a typical hit and run. And now they think wow. it might be, yeah, they think it no may kidding. actually be an assault. Yeah. So I saw they have wow. things posted up looking for uh, more information. So and he was he was riding his bike, right? Was skateboard, that, I think. Skateboarding? Skateboard, okay. yeah. He he like had a he he would skateboard. So if anyone out there listening knows anything about yeah. that, I see I, I I've seen that they've got uh, things posted up looking for more inv- information from those events. So, mm-hmm. um, you know. I, Either way, I mean, whether it's hit and run or truly assault, it, yeah, either way, that's, it's terrible. That's awful. Terrible outcome for a nice guy. Oh, so, God's sakes. Yeah, you know? he was a decent guy. He really was. Yeah. Um, I know he upset some people in the yeah. harbor and he, you know, whatever. But um, I always had a... Find someone in the harbor who hasn't upset someone. Yeah, exactly. That's that's kind of the thing. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, circling back to the boat, uh, we, we had her uh, dry docked and he came over and looked at it and he says, you know, it's just... Uh, I I just I can't I can't uh, permit this for for charter. It's just um, it's it's not what needs to be. You know you don't your rail you have no rails and your gunnels are like you know at twenty inches and uh, uh, it's just not it's not set up for charter. So that kind of broke my heart a little bit. Um, but you know I got over it and realized you know. Um, I think commercial fishing is uh, where I need to stick uh, my my efforts to, and um, which has been fine. You know, I, I've enjoyed it. Um, at times, you know, it's it's a real grind. I mean, let's let's face it: the, the life of a commercial fisherman is a very, very, very difficult and hard thing. So, um, you know, especially have you know, if you have a wife, you know, you're gone for five, six, seven days sometimes at a time, and and uh, it. It can put a strain on things, but, you know, um, I, I actually, um, I don't know if I told you this, Kenton, but uh, I, I contacted uh, Captain Chip of the Hanamana. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and um, I was ready to buy his boat. Oh, cool. And and start charters with it. And uh, we were ready to do the, do to the deal, but, you know, uh, DLNR, they always seem to have uh, another idea. They've got your number. They don't, they yeah. They got it out for yeah. you, huh? And so I, I talked to the harbor master, and I'm looking at these open slips, uh, and and you know, in Wailoa Harbor, uh, and you know this, but your listeners don't. Uh, Wailoa Harbor is um, is kind of two parts. There's the uh, seaward of the bridge. I you know, probably some of the listeners don't even realize it's on the other side of the yeah, island. It's, right. it's, yeah, right? So. Yeah, exactly. So we're talking. You know, I'm here in Kona. Uh, just to go across to the other side of the island is a is a two hour drive. So, anyways, uh, on that side. So this is Hilo side. This is Hilo side. Yep. Um, the Wailoa Harbor has two sections to it. There's the seaward of the bridge, and there is the um, river side of the bridge. And if your boat is any taller than I believe it's eleven foot. Uh, five inches um, at high tide, you're not going to get underneath that bridge. And um, unfortunately, the Hanamana is, you know, it's got a, a beautiful uh, flybridge on it. And um, Anyways, uh, I, I contacted the harbor master and said, you know, there's a couple of slips here. Oh, yeah, well, you're, uh, you're fourth in line for those. I'm like, really? Uh, okay, but why aren't they filled? 
Oh, I don't know, but we've we've got a we've got to follow <laughs> our protocol, and there's people in front of you that I'm like, really? All right. Well, I'm not going to mention any names, but um, uh, this particular harbor master is okay. I, I'm going to be Christian and not say anything. <laughs> Anyways, um, so th- you know those those plans kind of went out the window, and. Um, so I'm like, all right, well, you know, that's that's strike number two. Do I go for strike number three, or do I just play it safe and just continue commercial fishing? And uh, I think that's what, t- what we're going to do. We're just going to con- continue commercial fishing, you know. Um, hopefully, uh, with this latest thing with the car hitting the boat and the insurance, maybe I can get some upgrades. Maybe I can s- get some stuff fixed that uh, that needed to get fixed through this whole process. But uh, Anyway, she was seaworthy. There was nothing wrong with her. She had a, she has a Cat 3208 single oh. non-turbo. You yeah. know, it lasts forever. Um, long so as, it, as long as it's leaking oil, you yeah, know it's running. Yeah, 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 yeah. it's running. Yeah. And it's it's really strange thing about this is that you know we go to you know to the typical uh, whatever the hours is to change the oil. Well, look at the oil and it's not dirty. I'm like, what's going on here? Is it actually recycling through the engine? Um, but no, she's as solid as a rock. Wow, so how many hours are on it? Uh, we got uh, eleven thousand hours on it. Yeah. It's yeah. not a whole lot of hours. Not a whole on lot. It's not a whole lot of hours on it. Those are original hours, or has it been a rebuild? No, on it, it was a rebuild in wow. two thousand. Yeah. Wow, that's yeah. really pretty good. And and not, I think the rebuild was at about uh, seven thousand. So you know, hopefully, it got a lot of life left in her. So, but um, yeah, I mean, chugs along at uh, a rip roaring eight knots, you know, and. Um, Full speed, she, trolling she, she speed. She gets us where we need to go, and yeah, we've caught lots of fish trolling on her. So, yeah. So, um, as long as we get through this whole uh, insurance mess, I think we'll be okay, you know? Get back out there and start bringing in some fish again. That's great. Yeah. What would you say has been your biggest learning curve from fishing uh, back in California uh-huh. and coming here? Like, what, what would you say... If you were going to do it all over again, right? Yeah. What would you have done differently? Well, um, I probably would have uh, done a little bit more research. Um, and <coughs> probably like my, like my podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. <laughs> no, I. You know, honestly, I think I would have. What I would have done is I would have come over here and I would have deckhanded on some of the boats over in Kona and. Um, basically kind of got a little bit better idea of what the fishery is like over here. Um, you know, uh, fishing for halibut and lingcod and, and salmon is a completely different game than, uh, you know, trolling for, for ahi or, uh, or marlin. And um, uh, it, it, I, I would have just done a little bit more homework, I guess, uh, before I just dove in. But, you know, that's the kind of guy I am. I just kind of dive in head first. You know, I, I I think you know what that's like. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I'm yeah. I, I'm 100 so, percent guilty of that. Yeah, it it yeah. works out sometimes, yeah. and yeah, sometimes I end up with yeah pieces, broken yeah. pieces. Yeah, but you know, mostly what? of my heart. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But you know what? That's that's what makes life interesting. You know, if you don't if you don't go out on a on a limb and 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 try something that's a risk, then I don't know. I mean, you know, you got to have something worth. Uh, worth living for and uh to me you know taking risks somewhat calculated risks um that's what it's about you know like i was telling you earlier i've always been self-employed um 
always taken risks on businesses. Yeah, I've had businesses that have failed, but I've also had uh, I'm, in that, I'm also in that club. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. So that's that's what it's about. And, um, and yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to take the risks uh, if it doesn't work out. So... Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, to do differently, like I said, you know, I, I probably would have spent a little bit more time in this particular fishery because, you know, there's still a learning curve. I'm still learning. Uh, and, um, uh, you know, fish are fish, but d different types of fish, like, for example, like the ahi and things like that, you could fish for them off of the eastern seaborn, uh, you know, yellowfin, and you can pretty much catch them the same way that you catch them over here. Am I right for the most part? Yeah, I mean, I, I would say that quite a bit of what we do is uh, translate. I will say that in my experience from place to place mm -hmm. that um, some things don't necessarily uh, translate, yeah. Yeah. you know, like some things that work great in one area don't work in others. And mm -hmm. then but there is this definitely, I would say, a baseline of right. things that work, you know, pretty right. much consistently everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Fish yeah. have to eat. So, you know. Um, it's all about the presentation, as you know, and um, so uh, yeah, the, and local knowledge, of course, that's that's critical. You know, I, I would have spent some time talking to the locals, talking to the old timers, and get a little bit more in-depth knowledge on uh, you know even hand lining and things like that. That uh, you know, drop stone, uh, mock a dog kind of thing, uh, style of fishing, and um, you know things like that. We don't we don't have any of that over in California, so. Um, yeah, uh, that I guess that's what I would have done. But you know, school of hard knocks. Um, let's face it. Um, it. Again, it's it's a risk, and I was willing to take it. And uh, you know, I, I'm enjoying it. I have to say, yeah, it's it's a bitch sometimes. But um, the learning curve, the learning of it is is the challenge, and that's what I like about it is the challenge. What's been the hardest lesson so far? What 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 uh, oh. what, what what has been the biggest slap? To the face, or what? Wh what was the biggest thing misconception? Well, maybe let's we'll say before you got in, what was the biggest misconception you had <laughs> when you got into it? Well, so yeah, I mean, everybody hypes the whole marlin fishing and the granders and all of that stuff, and I'm like, okay, well, great, you know, let's go out. There's got to be granders over in Hilo on the Hilo well, side, right? I'm and, sure uh, they're there. Yeah, and I said, well, you know, m me and my naive self, oh, let's go out there and. You know, shoot, maybe we can get a grander and uh, and just uh, you know, I, you got to pay your dues, man. You got to pay your dues, oh. and uh, so just basically the hardest lesson was thinking that I'm going to go out there and we're going to load the fish with five thousand pounds of fish and in our first trip out, and <laughs> uh, it doesn't happen that way. It doesn't work that <laughs> way, unfortunately. <laughs> no, very rarely. Yeah, uh, it's yeah. definitely. Uh, you got to pay some dues. Yeah. And yeah, uh, for like sure. I said, you know, got to have the knowledge base. So if that's been the hardest lesson, I mean, what has probably been the uh, greatest accomplishment you've had since you since you got into commercial fishing out here? Uh, or charter fishing in general? Yeah. The greatest accomplishment uh, is keeping the boat afloat, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Legit, like that's right. Yeah, I, I mean, mean, let's face it, being a boat owner, um, we got to be half crazy. Uh, but uh, no, just being able to uh, the greatest accomplishment is is just surviving through COVID. For God's sakes, you know, 
um, being really, really careful about um, the decisions that we make that involve the business, the boat, the crew, uh, and, um, and just you know, it, it's. I think I think COVID has been our, our biggest challenge, as far as I'm concerned. I um, would agree. I and I think off the air we had talked about this once, but your timing uh, on <laughs> on on the bailout. You got screwed on that too, yeah. right? Like, yeah, I did. You were kind of in that same boat as me, where yeah. for whatever reason you didn't qualify right. for. Right. Like, I, I think I, I told you my story, but like, you know, they because the state of Hawaii had uh, that. There's a thing like when you offshore fish called the blue book, right? Yeah. And so, uh, all your deckhands, like, say, say you're running a boat that has more than one. Um, you know, like, or has one crew or multiple crew mm -hmm. or whatever, yep. or you're captaining someone else's boat. Well, the state of Hawaii asked me to turn off my reporting element so um, they don't, so you don't have double reporting, right? Okay. And so that, that's common. We've done that for years. Mm -hmm. uh, my three yeah. guys that are on the boat right now, they their reporting elements are off, and then I just report the catch, so then that way it's not reported over and over again, right? right? right. And, it, and it keeps it simpler. Multiplied, yeah, exactly. Yeah, but when it came time to talk about, like, when they did this, the fishery bailout, well, <laughs> I didn't qualify for anything, per yeah. se, because all the landings that I had for that time frame, right? So right. from when I lost my boat, yeah. I ran another gentleman's boat until mm -hmm. I had my own boat. The state didn't recognize me as having caught a single fish. Yeah. So even yeah. though I had been running someone else's boat, the way they set up the bailout, I didn't I didn't register as having caught fish. Yeah. Because well. and then we brought it up and anyways, this is pretty funny. I'll laugh at this. So at the end of the end of the thing, like they, like to try and give me like they 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 like credited me like seventeen hundred dollars worth of <laughs> uh, uh, uh of what um of like of catch for a, a season like and, and they wow. and they told me like you know like uh, you know you ran someone else's boat i said well shouldn't i you know i was a captain for i've got it in my logbook right. x number of trips and everything right, so, right. shouldn't i qualify for that and they're like no those are uh those don't count because they're uh you know those are someone else's you're not record and da 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 da, yeah, da, da, yeah. da. so wow. so anyways um got hosed i know yeah it's no just, I, it's terrible I, I, you know i heard a guy's getting a hundred grand who took the season off and then yeah and right. then right so people there was people who didn't work that you know right. got almost a hundred or a hundred thousand mm -hmm. dollars and then there's people who couldn't qualify at all because of some kind of like silly Stupid thing loophole. that's not yeah. your fault at all it's right. totally just something that, like literally if i had just kept reporting like instead of having turned off my reporting element like the like the state had asked so i would have been fine so yeah exactly it, and you know the same thing happened to me it's it, it, it was like oh well you don't qualify because you didn't uh make that uh enough uh, according to our what the you know uh criteria are i'm like and and i battled back and forth uh, on the emails with these people i'm like you know <laughs> with covid we couldn't really sell much so our numbers sucked and so now you're going to even, you know, uh, pour salt in a wound and and uh, and not give me any of the, these proceeds, which I rightly deserve because, you know, we've all been grounded for God's sake. You know, uh, it's 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 insane. You know, it's just not uh, <laughs> not something that I mean, let's face it. Fishermen have a hard life. I don't care where you are in the world. Um, we are we're just not treated with respect. 
that we, we that that we deserve. It's uh, you know, most of the guys I know that are commercial fishing and and, and hardworking people, they're you know salt of the earth. But man, they're 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 good people. They give you the shirt off their back and uh, you know help you when you when you're in need. And they're good people. But uh, gosh, I mean, the industry is just we're just so beat up by. Um, God, NOAA, uh, Department of Fisheries, and uh, it, it's just, it's insane, you know. Um, my partner, Tony, who, uh, he's from Sarasota, he did charters and uh, commercial fishing for, you know, over 30 years over there, uh, is telling me, you know, he, he would take these guys out from uh, the fisheries office and and uh, they'd go fishing in an area where a particular fish w wasn't found, but they wanted to record how many fish were caught in that area uh, that were this particular species. And, and he's like, well, why are you doing a survey in an area where these fish really don't exist, yet you're inputting these numbers into your, your logs and, and, your, and your data? saying, oh, yeah, well, we can't fish for these fish because there's too few of them. There's not enough numbers. Well, uh, and, and stuff like that happens all the time, as you know, Kenton. It's, it's just the, these people are just uh, <laughs> the, the data is incorrect. The data is inaccurate, you know. Um, I, I do agree with MPAs. You know, which uh, for people listening, w what is it? MPA? Uh, it's uh, it's it basically it's a a section of uh, area that is blocked off from fishing. You know, it's uh, it's an area that you know they supposedly want the fish to recuperate <coughs> the numbers to uh, repopulate, um, but it's a marine marine pr protected area. Area, right? Now California is facing a lot of that stuff yeah. right now, oh, right? Yeah, yeah absolutely. There's lots of them. The Cordell Bank uh, is one area that they've got closed off for a long time. Um, you know, there's large areas up towards Bodega Bay, down south, uh, Sa uh, San Francisco. Um, now, are, now, when you say MPA, are they talking about doing total closures? Like, are, are is there still some marine harvesting, or is it to protect it from, like, I, I know there's different levels. Right. So right. what's the kind of stuff that's on the agenda right now? Are they Are they trying to kill fishing on that altogether or is it just there well yeah that's a good question um there they are trying to kill fishing in some areas um which have been mpas for many 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 years and uh, uh and you, and the numbers are fine if you went out there and surveyed today but you know they are completely closed off from any activity at all from any harvesting and um uh, and then there's the areas that, you know, are protected, but, you know, you limited use. Um, you know, the uh, Farallon Islands, um, there's some other, other areas uh, near Half Moon Bay that are protected, yet you can still harvest um, limited numbers from. And, you know, all the party boats and the, um, the sport fishers go out there, and they've got to, you know, they've got to abide to those um, numbers. And, uh, but... In any case, uh, you know, like I was saying uh, before, um, you know, the Department of Fish and Game, uh, they, or Fish and Wildlife, DFW, they, they want to try and, and limit um, fishing. Um, one good thing, uh, I, I know there was a particular uh, fish that they had said, no, you can't catch these fish for I don't know how many years it was. Um, and they did repopulate. That's the canary rockfish. Um, 
there's so many of them now, and you are allowed to, to keep one of them. But uh, they're so populated now that, you know, you th I see guys throwing them back. And, you know, by the time they get up to the surface, their swim bladders uh, all blown know, out. All blown out, and they're, they're dying, you know. So, have, um, do you know, <laughs> have, have they tried, uh, are they doing any of the air bleeding or anything that they're doing on the some, East Coast? Some Is guys do that. Yeah, some of them do. But, you know, how do you do that when you're, you know, you've got 80, gu 80 guys on board and they're all pulling up these, <laughs> these canary rockfish, you know? Uh, is there a size limit on it or is it just a retention? No, you can only keep it, one. There's a, there's a size limit too on these things. But, yeah, it's retention also. Gotcha. So, yeah. Yeah, that that's a hard one. You know, like I, I can remember that in New England. Like, you know, we have redfish and mm -hmm. the size limit's yeah. nine inches. Right. And, you know, you get all these fish that come up that are completely blown out right. and they're floating all over right. the surface. So it's like on one hand, it's great, good that you're not keeping uh, undersized fish. But on the other hand, I never saw one swim back right. ever. Right. right. I think the idea on that was to keep the draggers off fishing on like smaller yeah. mesh fishing on getting big bags of them which is what i think was the idea okay yeah but probably yeah. but but it didn't translate over into like hook and line fishing at all because no. i never no. saw a single one swim down no not, not once no you know? and and you know i think they're trying to i, I don't know uh, for the sport fisher you know the weekend warrior guys that are out there catching these things maybe there's some that do you know uh try to re-enter them down again uh, so they can survive. But, you know, most of the time they just unhook them and throw them off the side of the boat and watch them float, you know, and then the seagulls come and pick at them. So, yeah, it's sad. Uh, it is sad. Well, what would be a better solution in your mind in I that one? I don't know. I really don't know if there is a better solution. Um, keeping them, you know. <laughs> total, Eating them. Total retention. Yeah, total retention. Yeah. You know. See, there's always two thoughts on that one, too, because I knew of some fishery ideas where, like, with, with net fishing, one mm -hmm. proposal they had was just, uh, like, back in New England that never went through. One, one uh, idea was, okay, just total retention. You have an observer. You have to yeah. keep everything. You catch what you catch. You go in. I kind of always actually liked that one, yeah. um, honestly, because then whatever you got was utilized, and then that was, like, sure. you know, you got your tonnage, and that was the end of the day. Right. The downside to high grading a lot of times is that the cost that bycatch is so great there's right. so much waste oh god it's terrible it really is it's a, it's like you said you know um god the bycatch is is just it, it is extremely wasteful i wish there was something that uh you know we could figure out what to do with the bycatch you know it's just uh I don't make dog food out of it or something. Who knows? Yeah, whatever. Right. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, I think the thought process from a lot of those fishery agencies is that if it would cause abuse, which um, the unfortunate part is that you're still, it's going yeah. to waste. So right. it's like, right. it's one of those damned if you do, damned, damned if, you, if you, don't. you don't. Yeah, I get you. Yeah. You know, you were commenting about how, uh, you know, we're so beat up by those fisheries. And I often say that in a lot of places, fishermen is considered a four-letter word. Why, in your opinion, do you think uh, fishermen get such a bad rap or, or have to endure so much BS from these groups? What, what, what's your thought process on that? Well, it's because, you know, the fishermen know their fishery. Let's face it. They're out there day in and day out. They're fishing. They know the numbers. They know what's, uh, you know, what's being caught. Uh, most fishermen that I know are responsible, and, uh, you know, they, they fish it, and they let the area rest, and then... Uh, 
um, rejuvenates itself. And um, I think the approach that you know these these agencies are taking is that you know these guys come in there, they rape everything, they clean it out, and then um, you know they take it to market, which is not the case because you know as fishermen we want um, we want to be able to get out there and catch some more fish. And the only way to do that is to fish responsibly and and to uh, think about, um, you know, what our future is going to be. And uh, it's unfortunate. Um, you look at the number of fishermen that are here today, uh, even from, gosh, five, ten years ago, and uh, we're, we're a dying breed, you know. And it's because we get such a bad rap and because it's such a difficult business to stay in. Gulf and and uh, you know off of the eastern seaboard too. Um, everything is very heavily regulated, and so uh, I don't know. You know, it's it's one of those areas um, that's uh, it's it could take hours and hours to discuss it because it's just it, it's a tough one. Um, I know that uh, people that used to fish for a living and make good money at it can no longer do that and they're you know they have to find other things to do you know on uh, become a construction worker or something so uh, and it's sad because you know the fishermen um, have a history uh, dating all the way back to God you know at least in our country you know back to the 1700s and uh, how uh, how they provided for the public well, I mean, if you really want to get into it, the history of fishing in, in North America to Europe and yeah. goes way back. If you want to start talking about salt cod days right. and, like, really how far back. Pakala, all that stuff, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it goes mm -hmm. exactly, you yeah, know. So, yeah, um, so anyways, it's, uh, it's a tough thing. And, and, you know, I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm foolish wanting to go, you know, move forward as a commercial fisherman, but... Bottom line is, is we're we're pr providing sustenance for people. We're we're feeding people, um, where people wouldn't otherwise be able to do it for themselves. Uh, you know, to go out and catch a load of fish and bring it back and know that you're feeding families that that makes me feel good. You it know, should I don't know about you? So. Yeah, no, I mean, I yeah. I don't think it's foolish. I know that it's not the most straightforward path. I mean, I, I know that for sure that uh, there are easier courses, um, but I find that it's a fulfilling job. You know, yeah, I, 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 I find it very rewarding. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, there's a huge disconnect, right? With, oh. uh, like yeah. with pe between people eating yep. fish yep. and uh, between those eating fish and the people who actually catch them, you know, uh, I've personally witnessed this over the years at like fishery meetings and things like that. Mm -hmm. I'll listen to somebody, you know, trash talk a f the fishing fleet up and down, up yeah. and down. And then we go for a lunch break. Right. You know, the, the meetings adjourn. And who's the first person in line shoving all this ahi 
in their mouth, you know, yeah. like, yeah, where, 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 exactly. Where do you think that fish came from? Right. It didn't just fucking end up right. on your plate. Right. You know exactly. what I mean? Like, where, yeah. where, where do you think that fish came from? Yeah. You know, like totally, totally disconnected on, on one hand, talking about shutting down fi- fishing and in the next moment, shoving their gob full yeah. of any piece of sashimi they could get right. off the buffet. Right. You know, exactly. like where, where, oh, God, it's just it's such a huge hypo- disconnect. It's on very that. hypocritical. Yeah. Yeah, I get it, man. It's just it's it's crazy. And, you know, we, we've over the years and it's gotten much worse, of course, is the porn fish and all of that. I don't even want to get into that. But uh, well, it's it, a it just pretty just common subject on this. Uh, yeah, on, on, sure on this is. podcast. I mean, that <laughs> yeah. that that's. Yeah. Well, yeah and, and just the general public just has no clue what's in that foreign fish. I mean, my God, some of the crap they do to that. You and I both know. But the general public, they just they don't have a clue. You know, let's bleach the fish so that it looks better, and uh, you know, add coloring and 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 you know, the farm farm. Let's gas it. Yeah, it's just gas it. Yeah, let's gas it with carbon monoxide. Carbon monoxide and 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 uh, yeah, it's just it's sickening. It is sickening. The old tailpipe tuna. Yeah. (laughs) Yum. Yeah. Uh, Anyways, I mean, that's again, that that's a whole other subject. Do you know what would be a great a great and I'm going to do it on, on, on this podcast. Yeah, you know, okay. uh, now that I have a video, this is one of the things that I've been <laughs> wanting to do, right? Yeah. Is I'm going to do a taste test. Oh. Okay. Okay. And so to prove yeah. to people how often our eyes lie to us. Oh, yeah. Right? So one of the things that always hurts with tuna grating is the color, right? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. E- everyone cares about the color, yep. fat content, all these things. Yep. But the interesting thing is once you actually put it on your palate, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a whole different thing. Oh, just night and so day. Yeah. so many times, right? right. Our eyes kind of cheat us of like flavorful things. It's kind of like a, like a really good steak. Absolutely. You yeah. know, like how, yeah. I mean, if, if my average consumer wouldn't even want to see like what you know, like a couple day steak looks like, and it right. might be the best piece of meat you ever right. ate. Oh gosh, but yeah. but we're trained that we want. Bright red, bright red, yeah. and, mm-hmm. and yeah. that's that's the same reason why uh, carbon monoxide fish has become yeah. so popular is because people want that bright red fish. Right. But you know, it's really funny how many times I've done this, like with a uh, like with an older fish, right? Mm-hmm. Or not even necessarily an older fish. But the thing is about troll caught fish, hand lion caught fish. Right. I'm not talking about like an old piece of shit right. that's twenty something days old, right, off right, off right. off a long liner. <laughs> that, that, yeah. that, that, that's not that's not what I'm saying because right. some of those fish truly are old, rotten, oh god, yeah. garbage. Like yeah. I mean, there are definitely some fish that come off the long liners that yeah. you couldn't fucking pay well, me to eat, right? And, and, and but point point and fa- fact, uh, not to interrupt, but no, no, you know, please do. I, I was on a mainland. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, um, and uh, I went into Trader Joe's, and I saw, okay, well, there's some uh, some mahi-mahi frozen. All right, fine. Uh, picked up uh, the frozen mahi-mahi, went, cooked it up, and it tasted like shit. Old fish. I couldn't believe it. Oh, you and can I'm tell like, when it's old, You've got too. to be kidding me. And, you know, I looked at the date code on it. And said, okay, it looked fine. But, my God, I, I couldn't eat it. It was just disgusting. You know, and I'm sure people think, oh, well, it's just fish. Fish is fishy. The hell it's fishy. If it's fresh, it tastes fantastic, you know. But I'm sorry. No, no, no. No, you're 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 100 percent right. Like fishy, fresh fish isn't fishy per se. You know what I mean? Like fresh fish is like delicious Delicious, and clean. Like uh, 
I always say like like good clean fish, especially odor, right? Like that's right. a huge misconception. Oh, yeah. Like really fresh fish is not pungent per se. Like no. it doesn't have that rotty no. dock smell that so many people associate with it. Like, oh, that's just seafood. That's not really true. Like really yeah. good seafood should have like a clean, nice uh, fresh you know, smell, fresh, yeah. fresh smell, like yeah. almost no scent. A lot of times, like with a saltwater fish, right. really, you have it skinned, you've got the flay yep. up, like you're almost going to feel like um, there's almost going to be like almost no scent, really. Right. Just kind right. of that like salty, oceany kind of smell. Not that like, you like, especially if you're around fish enough, you know, like you kind of. Oh, yeah. Like it, it's not, oh, yeah. you know when it's fucking turning. Oh, God. Right? You it's can tell absolutely. when it's turning. Absolutely. But, but a lot of times that's like when you go to a store. That's oh, like yeah. the shit they've got like on the shelf because unbelievable. You know? I mean, y- yeah, you go to the you go to the uh, the meat counter or something, and you look at the the fish that's laying out there, and um, yeah, Brown. I, I look, yeah, exactly. And so I, you know, I'll ask the guy, hey, can I can I smell that real quick? I have smelled some <laughs> shitty, fucking rotten fish before that they were selling as fresh fish, and I, I'm I'm like. How do they get away with this? But I, I, it's it's just that it goes naivety. back to that people disconnect. Don't, people it, don't know. They, they don't just know. don't understand it, yeah. you know? And, uh, yeah, I mean, fresh fish, I mean, uh, you know, you look at the eyes. Are they, you know, are they clear or is, are they cloudy or, you know? And it's, I don't know. It's, 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 it, it has a lot to do with education, too. People just don't know. We know it's interesting, care. too. Uh, here, this I got a little bit off subject on what I was going, but, you know, it culturally, it's really interesting um, how some like uh, cultures they want to see eyeballs and they want the guts in the fish. Right. Like uh, especially as a uh, big part of what we've done has gone to like direct sales, like mm-hmm. with the smaller fish. Right. There is a large percentage of people that want to see the guts because right. where they're from, like uh, in like uh, like Phil- like in the Philippines and Philippines, stuff like that. Yeah. The guts you know, is what is perceived, um, you know, what are, you know, perceived as fresh. Right. And so, like, if right. you give them a gutted fish, okay, right. in their mind, a lot of them are already thinking, like, oh, this is an old fish right. because the guts are out. Whereas, yeah. you know, taking the guts out, we, we know, is the best thing sure. for quality. Sure. But, you know, from different places where they have kind of a better connection mm-hmm. with their uh, with their catch, right. they associate the guts being in with being fresh. Right. So that's kind of wild, you know? And then also the eyes, like, you know, like you want to see like good clarity mm-hmm. when you're looking at an eye. Well, sometimes what will happen uh, is that you'll have a fish that has like a, a gaff went through the eye or right. got hooked in the eye. And so right. the eyes messed up mm-hmm. and like some of those people, they just won't touch it. Like what's wrong with yeah. the eye. Yeah. And, like, and it's just, yeah. it, it's just, you know, it's, it's totally a cultural thing yes. too. You know, it's like, uh, that's how these people are, are, tra- are raised and trained, you know, uh, they want to see their fish whole. They want to see it intact. And scales. Yeah, scales, everything, you know. Yeah. But then you do that here in in, uh, in the States, well, they you th- know. Here in the it's States, they think fish come out of a box. Right, they, right exactly. Right, yeah. You know, Gordon's fisherman. Woohoo, let's go to the freezer and pull it out. <laughs> Gordon's a Gloucester. You know, a lot of people don't even know, like, uh, Gordon's a Gloucester, aside yeah. from, like, importing yeah. stuff from Alaska. Right. I think they stopped, like, if it wasn't the late 80s, it was, like, definitely like the early 90s mm-hmm. sold their last fish actually out of Gloucester. Yeah. They still have like their headquarters there. Yeah. But they yeah. haven't bought dealt with fish. They, they, they yeah. their whole business went towards like uh 
uh, walleye pollock and like wow. all the fish out of um, like the West Coast. Mm-hmm. But they still have like their corporate there. But like people still have this perception like <laughs> that that's, you know, coming from there. There is more fish in there's more codfish eaten in New England from Iceland. Yeah. And there actually is harvested in New England. I the it. imports are, are, are an issue, you know, everywhere. It's right. the right. It's it's that same it's that same supply chain where people, you know, it, it I mean at the end yeah. of the day, right? It's cheaper. Right. It's but and, and part of that goes I gotta say though in New England, a big part of that, A, there was like population issues and everything. Right. But B, it was the management like our governing management that basically is was a big part of the failure there as to why imports there's more imports. Yeah. I mean, there's more imported. Think about this for a second. There's more imported cod on Cape Cod than yeah. there's cod harvested, harvested in Cape Cod. It's it's that, sickening. That, it yeah. is sickening. It's that, to just me, sickening. And and you know, again, the um, you know these guys uh, that go out and survey and say, oh, there's not any cod left in that area, and blah blah blah. And uh, the reality is, is there's still a lot of cod. It's just there's no fishermen to go out there and catch it. <laughs> well, the, you know, I got to say, in New England, and, and, you know, I'm still in touch with a lot of people, and that's mm-hmm. what I grew up with. And right. I mean, like, I've got codfish tattoo on my arm. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, I mean, that's a thing that I hold really close to my heart. Mm-hmm. Um, the cod numbers are down there, though. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the fishery has changed. There's a, like haddock. Here's a great example, right? right, right. So, haddock were non existent when I was a kid. There was some down south, there was some on Georgia's. I worked on party boats, mm-hmm. um, you know, like mm-hmm. head boats catching uh, fish. Right. Uh, I never saw a haddock until I think about three years into working on those boats, and I saw one. Okay. And, um, you know, and that's something they used to catch tons of, right? right. So, right. I, I mean, I remember like catching it, and I'm like, I, what, what? and, you know, I've been doing this for like three seasons already yeah, and sure. never seen one. And I'm like, I think, is that what I think, uh, what I think it is? Yeah, like, and I had to yeah. run it up to the captain yeah. and be like, I think it's a haddock. And he's like, that's a haddock, that's you a know? Haddock. Wow. And then it was too small to keep. And so we had to let it go. So even the first haddock I saw, we had to let go. Now, if you went on a party boat in New England now, right? Mm-hmm. And this is like, this would, I would say that this is a management win. Okay. Okay. Right. Haddock are everywhere again. All right. They're everywhere. That's there's, a there's, good thing. But, that's awesome. But the codfish in most places are still missing. Okay. So, I, and I think part of that, just from some of the old timers I've talked to, a big part of that in New England, anyways, um, it's not just the overfishing, but it's pollution. Yeah. Like Bobby Nudd, uh, who is a, a fisherman I hold really close to my heart, right? Okay. And uh, when I go back to New England, I stay with him. Uh, right. He's the third oldest lobsterman in the state of New Hampshire right now. He's 70 something, and he's the third oldest, which is. Awesome, right? The okay. fact uh, mm-hmm. that they're still going. Oh God, yeah. And um, but his whole life, he has seen all the fisheries move further and further and further offshore. Literally, when he was a kid, they used to catch. Uh, well, here's his best example: in the river, mm-hmm. like the the river that they would head out of. Uh, they used to catch pollock, like good sized pollock, in the river. Wow! And okay. they could catch haddock on the beach, oh, right? And then throughout his whole life. Stuff got further and further and further and further and further offshore, which so a big part of his belief on that is that a lot of that is is, is pollution from a land-based like runoff and things like that because yeah. the fisheries moved further and further offshore his whole life. He's watched that, you know. Wow. And uh, Sad. He, he's a fifth-generation fisherman in New England. Wow. So, 
But his thought on the cod, though, like I just not to go on a total side tangent. Right, right. And uh, he had this story. I, I would love to get him on the podcast, but I don't think mm. he's going to do the podcast. I wish he would, but he's one of those kind of people. <laughs> um, he, he thinks part of that, a lot of the spots they used to fish, like they used to heavily fish the spawning grounds because they would get oh. big fish. Because unfortunately... Those are the mature, you know, reproducing fish. Yeah. Well, right. And that's where the market was, right? right? So they paid more money like on the larger cod because the, the, they had better, bigger fillets and everything like yeah. that. So whale cod, which are like over 50 pounds, I don't right. know, what, like all, the biggest cod paid the most, and that's how the breakdown was, so they target bigger fish. His belief is that in a lot of those places, uh, literally, he thought it was kind of like a salmon, like the, mm-hmm. that the fish would go back to the same spot to spawn every year. And basically, he thinks in a lot of cases, they wiped out the biomass. Bio he was telling me the story that there was this one hump he liked to fish in particular, and uh, he remembers one day, like, he set on it, right? Right. And then he caught two, like, 80-pound cod. Wow. Completely full of eggs, just overflowing. Oh, wow. And those, and, and, they, and those were the last two fish he ever caught off it. He tried it again for years, and the fish never came back. And literally, he, he wow. like, he, his belief is that, like, that hump, like, basically, he thinks he, out, he, he thinks he destroyed the stock to that one with not initially realizing what he was doing. You know, so wow. So what what is the what is the age uh, cod has to be in order to start reproducing? Ooh, man. You know what? That's a question that I would have known in a second when I was younger. I don't know the age of a reproductive cod. Well, and, you know, Uh, I'd be lying if I said I did. But I I (sighs) most as you know, most fish, you know, they've they 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 have to. Well, for example, the mahi mahi, there's fastest growing fish, right? Right. They can reproduce very quickly, but you take some of these bottom fish, the groupers and whatnot, and you know they've got to be 50, 60 years old in order to reproduce. Uh, in some cases, um, which is maybe, incredibly yeah, old. It's very, very old, but you know they live several hundred years old. You know, and and uh, but anyways, th- my point, uh, my question was, so if these cod are being caught uh, and they haven't had a chance to reproduce. Uh, or they're at the reproduction stage and they're being caught, then, you know, there's nothing to, you know, keep them going. It's sad. Um, I, I would say the thing in New England these days is uh, part that there aren't even any fishermen really. There's hardly any fishermen left yeah. in New England. Like, yeah. um, a lot of the damage has been done. And, uh, and then, like I said, there was some mismanagement stuff, in my mm-hmm. opinion. There's hardly any fishermen left. I mean, yeah. I would say that the guys that are left doing it are really the guys that are the ones that are, who are doing it right and were able to survive. But right. I, I, I do think um, the way the government sets stuff up, they, they and it's kind of like what's happening out here with the long line fleet. Mm-hmm. The way they made permits and things happen, they pushed a lot of small guys out of business and right. kind of consolidated into bigger boats, which I don't totally agree with. I, I feel like that is a fundamental mismanagement. So instead of having a whole bunch of little boats, you just have a handful of, of really bigger big boats that n- just uh, scour the, the areas and they just bring in tons and tons and tons of the stuff. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, I mean, again, it's like it's, it's a fraction, mm-hmm. a fraction of what used to be harvested in New England. But yeah. uh, I mean, there's 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 hardly any fishing boats really left. But I, I guess the haddock's a great story. And yeah, it um is. It is, um, you know, and, and I've I've watched numerous specials about 
you know, Gloucester and, and uh, Cape Cod and the fishermen. And, uh, and you're right, there's, there's hardly any fishermen left there at all. And, um, you know, uh, some people think it's global warming, the water's, you know, too warm in the area, so they've gone north or, you know, there's all kinds of theories. But um, the bottom line is, is that, you know, if you talk to a native person, a native uh, uh, American Indian or uh, Aleut or even a native Hawaiian, um, they know how to take care of their fisheries. They know that you only fish so much and you let it rest so that it can, you know, recoup itself. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, unfortunately, I know there's fishermen out there that are just in it for the buck. They go get as much as they can and fish the same spots. And, of course, they're going to fish it out because it hasn't given the, given the fish a, a, a chance to reproduce and get the numbers back up, you know, especially um, the slower-growing fish, you know. Um, we were talking about uh, reproductive maturity. That's, um, that's, that's a big deal. So, yeah. Um, I was actually, sorry, like I was dipping down. Like it just so happens that where we're working, I've got all these old photo albums. Ah. And I, one of my pastimes when I was younger, when I first got my, like my first, like in eighth grade, mm -hmm. my dad got me my first like 35 millimeter uh, camera. Ah, okay. I used to go down to Gloucester and uh, different seaports and take photos. Right. And so actually you were just, I, w I was just thinking of some of the different photos that I, I have, like, but I'm not going to rip all that. I, if that's something, if I had any idea this conversation was going to go that direction, <laughs> I would have already had some of this pre-laid right. pre out. But I, I, right. I, I, I was just thinking of a photo when you, when you mm -hmm. had just said that. So yeah. sorry yeah. to be distracting over yeah, there. No, yeah, it, yeah. It, it reminds me of the days of, you know, um, let's take, for, for example, Catalina Island. That was a, uh, a hotbed for black sea bass. And so, you know, I can remember seeing pictures um, of people with these... God, I don't know, three, four hundred pound black sea bass. Wow. And you know that fish has got to be several hundred years old. Are those rod and reel fish or are those like They're speared rod, fish? Rod, rod and reel. Yeah. Rod wow. and reel. And, um, you know, they go out there with these big, enormous, like 14 knot reels, you know, <laughs> those things. But um, they, they just, you know, they went away, you know, and uh, the uh, fisheries, um, you know, uh, said no more. And fortunately, there was enough of them to start repopulating. Um, but, you know, back then, they didn't think about, uh, you know, these fish take, you know, several hundred years to reproduce. To reproduce. And, you know, it, it's just... Uh, so how long have the, um, have the regulations been in? Uh, I think they've been in place since the early 70s. And uh, fortunately, they started earlier enough to where there were still some numbers and... Uh, now you see them all over the place. I, mean, I can remember diving, uh, well, early 90s, uh, diving in um, uh, Anacapa Island. And I remember seeing a black sea bass uh, that was uh, several hundred pounds. And I'm like, okay, well, that's great, you know. Uh, and even now there's more numbers of them. So, um, you know, putting a, the kibosh on fishing a particular species for a length of time, it does work. It does help. So, you know, I don't, I don't know the eastern seaboard. I don't know uh, Cape Cod like you do. Uh, but I can imagine some... I'm, I'm really more know. of a Gulf of Maine guy, though, to be honest. Okay. Like, if you okay. want to talk... Uh, right. Gulf of Maine is really more my department. Okay. So Cape Cod kind of, then you got the southerly. That's not really my... Okay. That's okay. not really my knowledge base, but... Gotcha. 
But right in the heart of the Gulf of Maine, I'm pretty familiar with. Okay, all right. Yeah. But, you know, um, some of the same rules apply. So, um, yeah, I mean, you know, there's there's no uh, magic pill for all of this. Uh, and, um, you know, all, all we can do is try to be responsible fishermen, you know. Uh, and y you know what's right. I mean, you know, it's inside you, you know. There, if, if, if you feel you're overfishing something, then stop. Just... Go somewhere else. Let the area rest, you know. That's what the Native Hawaiians say, you know. Just let it rest, you know, and then go on someplace else. And then go back months later or something or a year later. Well, especially know. when we're talking bottom fishing. Yeah, you know, like fishing. Re Resting your spots is right. so, so important. It's critical. Yeah, critical. highly. Absolutely. I but mean, pelagics, you know, that's a different story, but still, you know, even the numbers there. Well, yeah. the pelagics are a difficult thing because yeah. it, oh, so much of it is here today, gone tomorrow, yeah. and yeah. especially when you're dealing with like a fish like with the big eyes, right. literally they leave here and then they could be, you know, they're in Tarawa or mm -hmm. Southwest Pacific right. and we'll never see them again. And it's pretty interesting when you look at some of the tagging and how many fish that like we've let go. And then, mm -hmm. you know, all the tag returns I've ever seen, they just, they end up like in a purse saner down yeah. in, down in, yeah. you know, like. <laughs> Yeah, I, you know, a couple fish uh, hang around, except for the yellowfin, which hang around. Like right. you know, I mean, a couple of the big guys I've seen have ended up like on other state buoys and stuff like that, and they were recaught. But for the most part, they just dig out of here. Yeah. Like they don't like yeah. the yellowfin stay around, but the big guys pretty much just dig out. Yeah, so. they do. Migrate. Uh, they migrate elsewhere. I guess um, you know that, and it's probably you know I would imagine for reproduction and and that kind of thing. Um, so. Wouldn't we love to be able to prove that? Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, we, we know where some spawning stocks right. are in theory, but I, like I was saying last night, that changes on a regular basis, too. I've seen so many mm -hmm. different, uh, you know, I don't want to say uh, theories, theories, but it's theories, right? I mean, they're not 100%. It's not like some of the bottom fish where we know they go to a pinnacle, they right. spawn up, right. and it's the same thing. Like, it's definitely, there's definitely some uh, question there right. as to where they're actually going. Mm -hmm. And there's an ethical question all the time, too. Like, okay, so, like, uh, do we catch and keep it here, or do we let it move along, and then it gets caught somewhere else, and then yeah. still ends up in our marketplace, and then, you know, that, that's, that, that's always, yeah, that, that, that's, that's one of those, those things. The, the problem with pelagics is that there's no fence, right? Right. No. And so no borders, yeah. If you wanted something to work universally, you really need to have the same rules in effect everywhere else. Everywhere. Yeah. But, you know, like what happens in the United States all the time is that we have rules and then outside that it's a free for all. Mm -hmm. Right? So yeah. That, I mean, that's not just us with our pelagics on the west on, on uh, over here either. Right. That, that's the east coast too. They right. they deal with that with the bluefin tuna. Yeah, you know, absolutely. like they got you yeah. know you got the most highly regulated bluefin tuna fishery in the world on the east coast, right. and right. then across the pond and some not not everywhere, but like in some places it's still wide open. And then they've Port got Portugal and uh, areas and like that. Yeah, and Spain. Spain. Yeah, yeah, those guys yeah. aren't real famous no. for being great about that no. kind of stuff. And then you also have there's a fleet. You know, you have, uh, you know, you got factory ships right. that literally catch them in the middle yep. of the ocean. They've been targeted. Like, uh, you know, a lot of people don't even know, like uh, like Mitsubishi Corporation. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, they're heavily vested. They put a, a lot of technology into, like, um, 
super freeze, which is like taking a fish down to like right. below negative 50. They have fleets that literally, they have boats that will go over there and they'll fish like a couple seasons in a row before they return home. And the fish are, you know, they're, they're held down. And so in theory with super freeze, the fish is basically when it's defrosted properly, the same as it was when they when they took it down super freeze, which yeah. is like a, an extreme blast freezing. Right. And right. so th- those boats will stay on location. You know, they may come in uh, for supplies and stuff somewhere mm-hmm. on the eastern seaboard, or but they basically load up until they go back over to Japan. And yeah. Yeah, that's 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 the thing, you know. And I know Mitsubishi; they also buy a lot of uh, the bluefin uh, from you know from areas, and and, and uh, they're the ones paying the prices for them and ship them over to their. Uh, the refrigeration units in Japan, and I, I understand they've got thousands and thousands of, uh, of, of fish, fish in storage it, at any given time, you know. Well, there's also, there, there is a thing that's happening uh, with, with stockpiling. Mm-hmm. So um, there is X amount of fish that are literally being stored in case the idea being that, like, yep. something runs out or whatever. They're basically trying... <clears throat> The way I've had it explained to me is that it, they're basically trying to minimize, like basically try and keep the market. So like if it yeah. they, if it has off year or whatever, but yep. basically they're, they're, they're trying to kind of price fix the market by having a stockpile where they can always pull out X amount. So they keep like the market, the at market a certain at a certain point. amount. Yeah. Right. But geez. Wow. You know, and here. I'm thinking, okay, well, it's the Japanese like their bluefin, and they don't want to run out of it. Kind of like the Hawaiians like their spam, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah, but, you know, I'm sure there's other political stuff behind all of that, too, you know? For first generation in Japan to eat less fish. You know? Did you know that? No, nah, I did not know that. Yeah, yeah, un- the, unreal. Yeah, the newer, uh, the, they still consume a lot of fish, mm-hmm. but percentage-wise, uh, they're consuming less and less fish than uh, the generations before them. So. Wow. Yeah, it's like uh, particular. Wow. Yeah, I mean, they like, don't get me wrong; they're still consuming sure. oh, a yeah. lot of fish, right. but uh, the, the per capita, or like percentage-wise, they're consuming less fish than like their uh, the generations before them. So, yeah, yeah. Um, that's one of the reasons actually. Like markets have expanded uh, into other places. Like so, but what where they're letting down, like China mm-hmm. and other places that mm-hmm. are experiencing uh, a new middle class that never right. had it. Right. Now right. they are purchasing yep. uh, the fish. And so, uh, you know, like Taiwan and I, sure. I, that, what, what was that whole damn thing with John Cena? What was that thing like where he uh, do you remember? Did you see that whole I, thing? I, where I, I like ta- Is it Taiwan that you're not allowed to say is a. Oh, that China doesn't accept as a country. How yeah, does that work? I, I, Jesus, I don't know. <laughs> one, one of those. I don't know, dude. John, John Cena had to go yeah. on and like yeah. apologize yeah. for uh, right. for to China for calling Taiwan. What? What? Anyway, so right. the, what, yeah. one of one of those countries besides China is also consuming um, a lot more uh, seafood than they ever did because their middle class has grown. Right. And as a status thing, like fish was always a. Uh, it was for the rich people right. because they could afford it, and you know the the lower class they just they didn't eat it. You Ex- know exactly right. So it was, it was a, a luxury. So um, yeah, and you know of course there's the whole thing where uh, you know they're finding these. Chinese fishing boats and these foreign fishing boats fishing in our, you know, closed off areas and in well. the northwestern Hawaiian Islands and things like that. You know, that's a whole other thing. But, you know, it, it, it's frustrating because we can't fish them, but 
these guys come in and they fish it all the time. You know, it's uh, no I rules for pirates. No, no, that's it. And so how are you gonna? You can't police it. So uh, it's, I don't know. You know, uh, again, we can't we we can't com- we can't police properly the uh, the illegal fishing that happens on the beaches here. Right, right. How are you gonna regulate? Right. You know. Right. Exactly. It, it's, it's not, a big ocean. It, yeah, it's, it's not like, uh, you know, like they say, oh, they all have AIS and da-da-da-da. Yeah. Dude, do you think a boat that's fishing illegally has their I- AIS turned on? on. Yeah, you think that's happening? Yeah, Like, exactly. I mean. Give me a break. Come on, dude. Like, really? you know, like. Get real. That's not <laughs> like, I, you, you think they don't, they're not going to cut yeah. the wall, cut the switch on that or whatever. There's right. so many. It's not like they're monitoring every, right. every ship. but. Right. No, that is what happens a lot of times is that uh, U.S. fishermen end up being like the sacrificial lambs. Yeah. And the people who aren't doing it right in the first place continue to continue to do it. Yeah, to not yeah do it. So it's just awful. Whatever. So what's the answer? How do you get how do you get U.S. consumers to eat more U.S. seafood? And how, how, how do you sell that? That's that's a really tough one. You know, it's it's a matter of what comes down to price, you know. But uh, that's the problem, right? That's the that's the bottom line, you know. Uh U.S. caught fish and sustainably caught fish is always going to be more money. But, you know, the idea is is that, number one, it's fresher, it's a better quality product, and there's going to be fish there tomorrow because it's at least we're conscious about, you know, fishing our areas and, and allowing, you know, the next generations to um, reproduce. But, you know, you've got people that you go into Costco and, you know, fish from Indonesia, fish from the Philippines, and it's you know eight ninety nine a pound, and and uh, you go into a fish market and fresh caught caught fish is you know seventeen ninety nine a pound, um, and it, it's it's a tough sell, but I think that the people that well, know what, what what should fish cost a pound? Well, what do you think? Yeah, it should be affordable for people in some way or another. You know. So how do you how how do you make that? That 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 I, I ask you that because I mean that's a problem that we deal with, right? right. So how, how do on you on a daily basis, yeah? How do you make it lucrative enough where a fisherman can make a living mm-hmm. and affordable for the people? Well, uh, I know, I know the retailer makes an awful lot of money off of it. And yes, and, the markup is and huge. The markup is huge, um, and you know maybe we take a look at that. Um, you know the middleman, the the fishmongers, the fish buyers. They usually make what? What's an average percentage that those guys make? You know, you know, the, the truth is like having gone down that road myself. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, it the percentage that most fish buyers make is not as extreme as people think it is. Mm-hmm. Like I, you know, because you know, like a lot of times, what happens is that um, what what let's say for example, okay, so. You figure with waste, like in Hawaii, we buy, uh, they buy the fish whole. Right. Right. Okay. At the best case, they're probably getting 62% yep. is what yield. And that's like yep. best case scenario. That's and that's the best, yeah. And that's not, and smaller fish, so the smaller the fish they are, the smaller the yield. Right. It will get down to like 50%. Also, side note, like if you're talking about OPA, right. which is a huge loss, right. they, they have like a 33 to 35% yield, yield and that's yeah. it. So mm-hmm. they lose their ass on on loss on, on, on that fish, for right. example, right? So there's like there's 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 very little usable meat on mm-hmm. like say an opa. But um, you know, one thing people don't think about all the time with this, they've got 
You've got cutters. Cutters. You've yeah, got processing. processing. Yep. You've got mm-hmm. insurance. Sure. You have ungodly overhead. Uh, overhead. The yeah. electric bill is crazy. Yeah. Imagine keeping all those freezers, all those chillers, yeah. all those co- cooling units going. Uh, you 24/7. know, twenty four seven. Twenty four seven. I mean, yeah. I knew like I knew a company without mentioning any names, and this was going back fifteen years ago already. Right. And their electricity bill was ten thousand dollars a month, yeah. right? Yeah. So. The overhead it, it, they've got there's a lot of um, there's a lot there's a lot of overhead there and that people don't even think of too. Then you've got salespeople, right? You know, right. you've got and then you've got someone to manage it. You've got trucks for shipping mm-hmm. and delivering, and so there's a lot more overhead than people think. Um, I don't want to speak for every everybody, um, but I do know that some uh, fishing some companies' business model is based on just actually clearing 50 cents a pound when yeah. everything's said and done. Like uh, after after expenses and everything, um, 50 cents to like a dollar a pound. Mm-hmm. So and then and then they do it on on volume. So you know like if not not that there aren't times where the margin isn't more favorable for them because there definitely are because they the thing is, fish buyers have to make money right. in order right. for fish to buy fishermen's right. fish, Obviously, right? Like, yeah. they can't, unless they're getting a full, like, unless they're getting a prime price all the time, they can't buy from you all the time sure. at, at, at a full retail price, right? right so, right, right. Um, I think 50 cents, so I don't know what that actually comes out to, like, percentage-wise, because the price goes, because they, they look at it more like that. Um, I'm sure there's some companies that have different business models, but you figure like, okay, so like, let's just say like for what, let's say like for profit. And this is just to kind of break this down for like some people that, okay, say they buy an ahi. Okay. Right. Like say they buy a hundred pounder for $5 a pound. Okay. Okay. In reality, all right, they're $10 a pound into that loin, maybe a little bit less, but it's not like every of the 50 to 60% of of loin they got it's not like all of that is sushi grade fish oh of course like not. It, yeah you've only got x amount of portions that they get that higher price for right. and then you know you've got basically scrap you make maybe there's some poke stuff and like so um okay so let, let, let's say now they're ten dollars a pound into that fish okay and we haven't even paid one bill yet yeah we haven't paid a uh you know we haven't paid anyone that works for us we haven't paid an electric bill Nothing. Okay. And then let's say you're, you've got a store. Okay. And let's say the store, uh, basically a store's markup is usually like twofold. Okay. And so let's say now, you know, they're $10 in that fish or what they're $10 in that fish. Now they have to sell it. Uh, you know, they have to sell it at a price where the store will actually buy it. Buy yeah, it. And, 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 and stores have pretty tough markups, right? right. Like, so, you know, if, if like, like, let's say for example, probably, uh, I saw some people really complaining the other day that, oh, he was $28 a pound yeah. on, on this social media trend. Yeah. Right. So most likely they paid like $14 a pound for that fish from the, uh, from the wholesaler. Right. Right. But so that only gives you, let's say a $4 markup Okay, let's say, let's say they're even, it, it, it might not, you know, let's, let's say they're $4 a pound into it. That, that $4 becomes before all those other expenses. That's not really, it's not like, it's not like we're, oh, they're getting $30 a pound. Out of the, they're not really getting that much money because 
there's times like 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 that. Even at that time, if it, it, there's not that much play. You know what I mean? Like gotcha. four dollars yeah. once you start yep. taking all the expenses. Right. There's really not that. There's not that much there. The other thing that doesn't that happens where wholesalers lose money um, is like a Costco account. Okay, right. so Costco is a lucrative account when the price of fish is bad. Yep. Okay, absolutely. So they yeah. they they clean up, but Costco locks you in on a price of fish, like in 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 in, in different. Uh, like I forget what it is, three months, six months, whatever the increments are, you get locked in. Mm-hmm. I know, I don't know if two companies, maybe two, but at least one company that went out of business because of the Costco account because wow. you're forced to honor it. Right. Well, which is fine. Like they, you have a locked in price. Okay. So that's the deal. You got a locked in price right. and you have to deliver X amount. But if the market goes skyrocketing, like which is what happened mm-hmm. to this one company, I'm not going to say their names because unfortunately they went out of business because of it. Right. Like, they lost their ass on it. Wow. And in order to keep up with that account, you know, they had to keep fulfilling it, thinking that it was going to turn around. And the prices stayed really high for a long time. And they ended up going out of business out of it. So um, it, it, it's not it's it, it's not all uh, it's not all gravy, mm-hmm. per se. You know, it's not like it's not all free money uh, like some people think it is. It just isn't. You know, there, right. there's um, there's there's a lot of overhead there. So well, on both um both the wholesaler and the retailer, you know, they got to pay the guy to right. sit there and, you know, shovel the fish over to the customer and uh, they've got to keep it cold and all of that too. So I, I get that. It's oh, just, oh. it's, 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 it's unfortunate that uh, it costs so much that, you know, there's becoming more of a, more of a gap between people that can afford fresh fish uh, than, than cannot. And uh, it's sad. I agree. Yeah. You know, you know. Another thing I want to mention before I get too far away from that: uh, wholesalers have to sit for a long time. Like some place like uh, like a chain like uh, KTA mm-hmm. and places like that, Costco. Yeah, they pay on ninety net day terms. Oh, ouch. so yeah. So that's Dang. another thing to think about. They wow. They they, they their ass is hanging out there for Holy a while wow. before they actually get paid. You know, like a typical. Um, like supermarket pays in like ninety to one hundred and twenty day net terms, so that's a long time between payments. That's you know, so three, that four that, months, yeah, that's a long that, time. And you're paying out the ten thousand dollar electric bill, and you're paying your employees, and you know all of the expenses that they have, and and uh, you know the, the space rent that they've got on their processing facility. I get, I get it. Yeah, yeah. There, there's you know, there's just, a lot of overhead, and yeah. there, and there's and they need, you need a big float to be able right. to compete with those people. You have to have a, a a pretty deep set of pockets to even yeah. be able to hang with them, you know. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's 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 tough, you know. I get it, um, but you know, when 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 you have you know guys like you or me that are just little little fishermen that go out and we try to sustain our family by uh, selling our fish, you know, when it's you know buck fifty, two bucks a pound at the market, and you know your fuel bill is thousands of dollars to go out to cross sea mount. Um, you know, <laughs> it's, it's a hard pill to swallow, you know? Well, that is part of the business though, yeah. isn't it? it is. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. It's a gamble. It's yeah. a gamble. Always is. So. Yeah. It's, you know, it's one of those things like with commercial fishing, there's just a lot of ebb and flows and it's mm-hmm. just, you have to be able to ride the wave long enough yep. to get on the other side. Right. And, and it's about averages too. You know, you might get buck 50 a pound this week, but you know, in a month, you might get uh, six or seven dollars a pound or more. You know, it just right. depends. And so you just got to average all that stuff out. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah. 
Without a doubt, my friend. Yep. It's the law of averages. So <laughs> it is. Let me, uh, let me, uh, I know I've kind of, I've got you here. It's already been like over an hour mm-hmm. and, uh, I've got some questions that I like to ask all sure. my guests, and uh, we can always have you back on here, especially because I'm—I know we're going to need your help uh, <laughs> going forward as I try to take this more and more technically advanced. Like honestly, yeah. like right now, I've got like the pitcher and pitcher thing, which you yep. can't see, but yep. for whatever fucking reason, uh, my my my, <laughs> I don't have the fish in the background anymore. It's just—it's oh, just a green screen. So oh, uh, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what the hell I did this oh, time. I was boy. trying to switch it back and forth, and so it's like. You hit the wrong button. Yeah, I cut it out somehow, oh, wow. and like someone commented on it, and I, I'll get it. I'll get it sorted out eventually. Oh, yeah. we'll, we'll figure it out. It's yep. like a, a learning curve. It's a learning curve. That's all it is. You know, you just be patient with uh, with with Kenton. He's a good guy. He's got a lot of new equipment that's kind of uh, been out of his uh, scope of knowledge, and uh, we'll get it dialed in. He'll he'll uh, he'll pick it up quickly. He's a smart guy. So. Well, I don't know about all that, but I'll try. Yeah. Uh, this, oh, yeah. That's kind of a big bill. But yeah. uh, um, <clears throat> it's the most beautiful thing you've ever seen out at sea. Oh, my God. Um, you know, it, it, you see things like uh, uh, a mother humpback and her baby, and it's just something that is just it's godlike because you just look at that and you go you know you're out here in in this beautiful sea and you see something like that and it's just i don't know it it really grounds you it makes you think there's still some good things on this earth you know and um yeah i mean you know when they're just hanging out around your boat and um you get to watch them in in their habitat in their world and uh it's it's it really touches a guy you know <laughs> have, have you would you see more humpbacks here or back in california um here actually yeah. um california i've seen um the gray whales oh cool the gray whales are awesome too i mean when they migrate up and down uh, the california coast go down to mexico to reproduce and um I've seen lots of lots of gray whales. Um, beautiful animals. What's cooler, humpback or gray whale? <sighs> well, you know, they're b- they both have their own beauty. But as far as I'm concerned, um, I like the mom and baby was pretty awesome. You know, that, that is awesome. awesome. That's a neat thing. You know, uh, I've seen uh, sunfish the size of a Volkswagen. Uh, <laughs> Off of the coast of California. Um, yeah, those, those things are awesome. Enormous. You just look at them, and they're just kind of like, they come up to the surface, and they just kind of flap their fins a little bit, you know, just so that just enough to to kind of look at you, and then they go back down. But, I mean, geez, this thing must have been, wow, I don't know, maybe six foot, seven foot in diameter. It was it was pretty huge. Awesome. Yeah. Very cool. Neat. I like uh, those, too. Yeah. We have them out here once in a while. Have you seen one out here yet? I haven't seen one, no. no. We no. see them once in a while. Not not too often, but they're around. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they're pretty cool. So, um, but yeah, I mean, you know, you never know what you're going to see out there. It's, uh, it's like, you know, I was looking at your Facebook post uh, a few weeks ago about the birds, you know. Oh, yeah. The birds are just, they're awesome, too. You know, they really are. They're part of the whole ecosystem. They're part of the whole, the whole experience of, of just loving the ocean and uh, and the life that it has and that it supports. That's why it's so important that we take care of it, you know. I agree. 
hundred percent agree. Mm-hmm. You know, the birds are such a neat thing too, because you know, when if you just look and like, oh, there's a bird, like yeah. a, or a bird pile. You look at a bird pile, right? But if you start like intersecting a uh, a bird pile, like you actually look at it closer, it, it is amazing the diversity that's actually in there. Yeah. And for years, I didn't really even do that. I just kind of looked like, oh, there's a bird pile, and you're like, mm-hmm. oh, there's some sheer waters. Yep. But right. you know, like you actually get in there and you look deeper at what's happening there, and uh, the you know. It's amazing how many different species, and then like I, you know, I've been trying to take that further in my knowledge base too. And then you start to realize, like, wow, okay, like I thought that was just a regular booby, right? And then it turns out there's like you know three subspecies of that, and the one that we just saw only comes here like once in a while, and like, yeah. So for me, that that's been like really cool. Very very cool. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's that's neat. You know, Um, and and you know what? It's it's unique because. You know, y- you could sit there and you could stare at, like you're saying, you could stare at these birds all the time. And then one day you just kind of look a little bit closer and you, you'd see how they interact and how the different species, you know, they work with each other sometimes. And it's just a, I- it's neat how they've learned to cohabitate, um, you know, with each other uh, in a lot of cases. You know, why can't humans do that? We seem, we seem to hate each other, you know, <laughs> fighting all the time, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's a great question. Yeah. So. Favorite fish story? Oh, favorite fish story. Or your, well, okay. Or so the one you like to tell the most? Well, I, I would say probably the most, um, the one that I remember the most, okay, is uh, I was trolling in the Catalina Channel with a couple of other guys in my boat. Uh, I was probably somewhere around 19 years old. Um, I'd often take my boat out and go out to Catalina and take some guys with me. Um, I can remember we were trolling and we saw uh, a billfish. And we all got we got all excited. Oh, and so we throw our rejigs on and, and started trolling around. Um, and then one of the guys says, oh, my God, look at that. So I, I look over, and I kid you not, I ha- we were in a 23-foot boat, and we saw a shark that was easily 18 feet and came up to the surface, and it was like it, it looked at us. Great white. Yeah, it was a great white. Oh, cool. White. It was a great white. And... We just kind of said, "Oh fuck!" So we just <laughs> fired and got the hell out of there. But that was that was one of those things that was that was really interesting. As far as fish story, uh, I don't have anything magnificent to say about fish story other than uh, surely in all those years of charter fishing, there has to be some really. Well, there's got to be a feel good or like a amazing story. You know, I just, nothing comes to mind, believe it or not. Really? Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, uh, well, it could, it could be because I got you on the spot. Well, it, it, yeah, you yeah. know, it could be. I'll probably remember something when we get what, off what, the air. What, what about like a really, uh, like, what about like a really like uh, great, like feel good story? You know, about catching a fish. Somebody that. You well, know? you know, it's always the kids' first fish. Yeah. That's always what it is. Is you know, you get somebody out there, dad and kid, and you know, he's all big-eyed, and uh, he catches his first fish, and he's, you just see him so excited, and just reminds you of how you were when you first year, uh, caught your first fish, you know? Um, those, are the, those are the experiences that I really enjoyed the most, is, uh, is having those things happen. Um, 
and um, you know, well, just you know, you, you, it's like you've instilled something in this kid for the rest of his life, and he's gonna want to go fishing since you know from that point on. That is such a good feeling, yeah, isn't it? It is. Yeah, it's I, awesome. I always like that myself. Taking kids fishing and yeah. and ladies, like especially la- take I love yeah. taking ladies because a lot of times, um, you know, they a lot of times they'll come in with kind of preconceived idea that like, right. oh, I don't fish or whatever, and yeah. then you get them into it and they end up really enjoying it, and yeah. then they're really proud of what they you know like like Absolutely. they you catch them a nice fish and they're really proud of what they've done, and it's like yeah. a really good feeling, you know. Well, and and you know, women are great fisher people, I should say, a hundred percent. You know, because they're they're coachable. You know, you get yeah. a guy out there, he's got his, you know, his ego and his macho and, oh, I know how to do it. I can do this and blah, blah, blah. And, but you can actually coach a woman. Okay, well, you know, just you know, pull that rod up. Once the wave goes down, pull the rod up. Allow it, the boat to take most of the weight and reel up as soon as the boat goes down on the wave. And, and things like that, you know, y- you can actually tell them and they'll listen to you. And, and, and it's great because then they, t- they, they turn out to be really good fisher people. I 100% uh, you know, agree. Right? Oh, dude, yeah. 100%, 100% yeah. because so often, like, um, I find that a lot of guys kind of come out with this preconceived idea yep. of, like, how they're going to catch them right. and, right. Uh, you know, I'm going to do this or that. Yep. I'm going to muscle it out mm-hmm. or this. And, uh, like, a lot of times those guys get burnt out right. or, or they just grind the yeah. shit out of your yep. gear that right. is fucking just destroy destroying, it. Yeah. just, yeah. Tr- just yeah. cranking yep. on your drag, just yep. like just beating the shit out of it. Whereas yeah. like a woman, a lot of times, and not to say that there aren't some terrible woman well, charters, cause sure. there are too, oh, right? Like, I mean, there's some fucking right. night. Yeah. Generalization. So, yeah. 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 <laughs> like, let's not kid anybody. Right. We, we all have had the, yeah. the, we've all had the Karens on the boat oh, too, God. or whatever, where you just, yeah. the, the trip is like over before yeah. it already started. You know like, what? You know like, what? is that all we're going to catch? And we haven't even left the fucking dock yet. <laughs> you know, like, so what, 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 but, but what generalizing, talking about like, you know, the, the vast majority a lot of them, like you said, you can you can you can teach them, yeah. or, or 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 they'll take your recommendations. Sure. And like, man, you know, I've never had like a woman ever quit right on a, on on like a really good fish. Yeah, I can't say that about men. I've I had know. some fucking people that have like yeah. all the money in the world and stuff, mm-hmm. and but not the pride. Right, <laughs> you know, like right. I I've right. seen some guys quit on fish where I'm like, really? Yeah, really? You yeah. spent all this time and energy into this fish, and you're right. quitting? Like right. I just like. Right. I didn't even want to shake their hand when right. they got off the boat at the end like, of the day. Like, f- get the fuck out of here. Right, exactly. <laughs> well, and, you know, those are the guys with, uh, you know, the, the, the two-inch penises, you know. It's like, oh, I can do this. So they just, like you say, they just get on the fish, and they just <laughs> grind on it and grind on it, you know. And they, and they just <laughs> they got the, nothing left to finish it off. You yeah. Know? Yeah, just, no, oh, totally, God. dude. Ridiculous. I've seen that. <laughs> dude, you're so right. I've seen that over and over again yeah. where you're just like, yeah, oh. I know. I know. It's funny how that works. How about, you know, okay, so I know one sad part about charter fishing, as mm. much as I love it, is that often the negative parts are more memorable oh, yeah. than I the uh, great stories. Like, you just had a hard time coming up with a great story? Yeah. yeah. Well, you got, a real, you got a really shitty charter story? You got a bad charter story? Just, you know, the typical, oh, we're, we're going to go out and, you know, you get out of the harbor and they're just puking their guts out, so you got to turn back around and come back. Oh, that's not you too know, bad. That's not bad, but... Um, no, no wildly drunk people or anything. You know, I I just don't allow people uh, drinking on my boat like that. I just I won't allow it. We're not leaving the dock because I know how it's going to turn out. It's going to be ugly. You know, it just it doesn't work for me. So you know, if I lose out on a charter, okay, but I'm <laughs> I'm not going to sit there and babysit some fucking drunk who's just 
going to be belligerent and, and ruin the day for other people. You know, it's just it's not worth it. No. So. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah. no. I mean, I, I mean, I'm not, uh, I'm not advocating drinking on the boat or anything right. either, but right. I have been involved. I've done the, in the industry long enough where you get people like you get the sneaky drunk, you know, yeah. you, sometimes you get the guy that you don't know is going to get fucking hammered yeah. drunk. And then yeah. like, yeah. you know, normally has like, you know, some crazy nickname that comes out normally like right. the slayer right. or something right. 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 Like, right. Oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> they call me the slayer. Yeah. And then next thing you know, the guy's like fucking slurring all over the place and like, yeah. yeah the so. slur instead of the slayer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dude, we had this charter one time where we had a guy fall in the water before oh. he got, before yeah. he even got on the boat. Wow. Literally. And his name was slayer. That's why I was, that's why I was, <laughs> that's why I was thinking of that guy. He literally fell off the boat and then, but we still ended up going because he was the only one that was a mess. And they're like, oh yeah, wow. don't worry. He'll behave himself. Uh-huh, sure. Dude, he only got worse. He's like, oh, yeah. he won't be, don't worry, he won't be drinking anymore on the trip. We got, yeah. dude, every, the guy was just like out of control. Yeah, but. I mean, he's, you know, people think that charters are like, well, we're going to go party. And then, you know, it's it just turns into this ugliness. And, you know, it, it's about going out there and having a neat experience and fishing. And, you know, it's not about going out there and, at least for me, partying and, and getting ugly and drunk and puking all over the place. Because that happens, I mean... All the time on charters, and that's why I just kind of put my foot down and said, you know, I'm sorry, it just, it's not going to happen on my rig. So, did you have a no drinking policy? Yeah, n- I, none I at did. all. I did. You okay. know, yeah. we got back to the to the dock. You know, that's fine, no problem. But right. I just, I just don't think there's any place for alcohol on a boat. I'm sorry. I just, it's just, you know, people get dehydrated from drinking. Oh yeah. You know, and and it's just, there's too many too many problems with it. So I just. That's been my policy, and if you don't like it, I'm sorry. You know, I understand. I've worked yeah. on some boats where, or like, no drinking during the day or whatever. Yeah, and just yeah. like, you know, like right. you can have one on the ride in. Or that's okay. Yeah, yeah. You, you know, don't. I I don't have a, an issue too much with that. You know, as long as it's beer, but I no alcohol, no hard alcohol. Um, but you know, I'd prefer none at all. Right. So, well, I'm gonna be honest though. Like, uh, Marlin fishing kind of has like this yeah, different connotation. Like, yeah. uh, I, I. I've been around some pretty, pretty, like serious programs. Yeah. But, oh yeah. But pretty yeah. serious about partying yeah. too. You know, like <laughs> so. You know, like of course. I've definitely been around uh, some pretty hardcore uh, operations where the fishing is serious, yeah. but the partying yeah. is also very serious. Very serious. Yeah, exactly. So, so. well, wow. I, yeah. Well. <laughs> You know, that, that kind of goes to terror. Let me ask you something then. Yeah. Um, and again, I keep dragging this out here, but uh, it doesn't sound like you do much drinking then. I, you know. So this might be hard. Okay. All right. So my, you, my dad was a drunk. Okay. He was a drinker. So I, I didn't want to be one of those guys. And so I've drank, you know, I like my beer, but just moderation. I just don't, uh, I don't touch the hard liquor because I get violently ill because of it. Oh, it's well, just weird. I, 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 my body can't handle it. So I just stick to beer and wine. and That um, might be a blessing. Yeah, maybe it is. Maybe it is. Um, but uh, I don't know. I, I frown on it again because I grew up with uh, an alcoholic dad, and, and it wasn't great. It wasn't great. So, yeah. Well, I can understand that. So yeah. I, uh, I could see why you wouldn't do it. Yeah. Uh, well, the next couple questions I have may be hard because it just might not be your thing. But do you have a favorite bar in the world? Uh, there is, actually, there is a cool bar, probably the most fun I'd been on was on Whidbey Island, and, um... Which is where? Uh, that's, uh, Puget Sound in, uh, state of Washington. Oh, cool. 
Yeah, and so I, I don't remember what it was, but it was a biker bar, and it was pretty hardcore. But man, they these guys knew how to party. There was bands all the time playing out there, and uh, I, you know, I'd go up to visit. I didn't live up there, but um, I can remember that that was uh, that was a real party fun place. And I don't know if it's still there, to be honest, but uh, um, th that was a cool place. And then, uh, of course. I don't know if you've ever been up to Alaska to the Red Dog. That's kind of cool. I mean, it's a little bit touristy place, but that's kind of a fun fun bar to be at. Red Dog. Yeah. Oh, I've been to the Salty Dog. Where's yeah. Red Where's Red Dog? Uh, I think it's up in, is it yeah. Juneau? Oh, I haven't been. Yeah. I, 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 Juneau? Yeah. No. Juneau. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. yeah. So, uh, but that that's a fun place. You know, they've got, uh, I forget, there's stuff hanging from the ceilings. and it, It's a neat place. So, yeah. Um, I, I tried to always keep my life pretty, uh, pretty, you know, clean for the most part, just because that's, that's the way I was raised. And, uh, I, I'm really not one of those guys that goes out and parties and I never was, I, I was always trying to do something productive. Um, not that partying isn't productive to a party. <laughs> but, but <laughs> well, you know, like, uh, <laughs> well, but you know, I was just, uh, I was just always one of those guys that, yeah, I was, I was the, the bummer guy, you know, but, um, that's always how I live my life, you know, I don't know. <laughs> well, fair enough, man. I mean, yeah. it's not like, definitely don't have to party all the time. Uh, I don't know if this is in that department mm -hmm. or not. Mm -hmm. uh, do you have a favorite strip club in the world? Ah. <sighs> I can't really say because uh, I've only been to one. <laughs> only been to one? <laughs> yeah. Really? I've only been to one strip club in Santa Rosa, California, and it was pretty awful. It was a pretty, it was a dive. Really? And I was probably 20, I don't know, 23, I think it was. Uh, I was working for this company, and um, we were copier techs. And uh, so the what guy the that... that? Uh, you know, photocopiers, you know, the oh, machines oh, oh, that, oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 so, yeah. So I was kind of a trainee, and, and the guy that was training me, he was a senior tech, and he liked his his wine and women and, and yeah, and song. And he, uh, he would take us over uh, for lunch breaks, which lasted sometimes two, three hours, and we'd hang out at the, oh. the titty bar. <laughs> well, well, do you remember what the name of the bar was? No, I don't remember no. what it was. Just a total shithole. Yeah, it was a complete shithole. It oh. was awful. Oh, sometimes those are good too, though. Like sometimes yeah. the train wrecks are the best. Yeah. yeah. Well, it. You know what? It just. I don't know. You were on the clock when this was happening. Yeah. Yeah. yeah well. Yeah. You know. <laughs> the boss. The boss wants you to go. You got to go, right? Exactly. I mean, what am I gonna do? It, you know, I'm, I'm riding with him, so he's. Ah, oh, let's go to the bar. Okay. All right. Fine. Whatever. <laughs> He probably was he yeah. a lot was he a lot older than you? Uh, he was yeah he was considerably older than myself. Yeah. So he loved it. it it's yeah. funny too because now I see the guy. Uh, oh, he, he, he works at he 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 works at the, so my um, I'm from Cal Northern California moved up to Northern California uh, and spent a lot of my time up there. But there's a little hardware store up there and. Well, lo and behold, I see this guy working in a hardware store. I'm like, Kenny, oh, my God. He's Arr! He used to call me um, Grasshopper, you know, oh kind of yeah. like uh, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. karate kid kind of thing. So 
Um, I'm like, wow, okay, so you've really gotten <laughs> up in the world. You work in a hardware store at 70 years old, <laughs> whatever. Well, that's yeah. probably what happens when you take all your lunch breaks at a strip club. Yeah, that probably, probably. That yeah. probably catches up with you <laughs> at, at some point. some point, that, yeah. That probably catches up with you. That's it. <laughs> so. Oh, my gosh, yeah. So, yeah, I again, I, I was a... I was a pretty boring guy, I guess. You know, I just I didn't go out and party. I just I tried to focus more of my energy into I don't know um, being productive, I guess. You know, learning things. Uh, um, gosh, I spent a lot of time with music. You know, I've been a musician since I was four years old, and uh, just uh, takes a lot of effort. You know, just like learning things, and it's a constant, uh, constant learning process in music. So I, you know, that's basically where I spent a lot of my weekends, just learning, learning chords and and notes and songs and yeah. So that's that's <laughs> that's pretty well, much it. Yeah, it's great, man. It's a good skill set to have. Yeah, redheads, all crazy or just ninety percent of them. Uh, uh, is your wife a redhead? Uh, well, is your wife a redhead? She, ah, no, what? she's not a redhead. Well, come she, on. Well, okay, she she likes her she likes her hair a little bit on the red side, a little 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 reddish. But uh, nah, she you know I would say, I think for the most part they're all crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not gonna lie. That, yeah, that's uh, yeah. that's been uh, yeah. for twenty something podcasts now. That's yeah. been the consistent kind of the cons- answer. The consensus, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, she's she's a brunette, but uh, but she likes to be a redhead. Well, she kind of. Well, that might be even a little bit of a tint. Yeah, that might even be crazier than a real redhead. Oh. I never really thought about that oh. before. <laughs> like. <laughs> No comment. I'm gonna get myself in trouble. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, maybe <laughs> maybe we should uh, maybe we should stop when we're ahead. Yeah. Uh, so, how do people get a hold of you if they're interested in getting a hold of you? If someone's listening to this, or oh, you got a you got a website, they might be interested in hearing some of your music. How does someone find you? What's the best oh, way to find you? Oh my gosh. Um, well, you know, you can look up um, Monaleo Hawaiian Music on on YouTube. That's one way. Um, uh, my company still exists, NorthBayMedia dot or yeah, NorthBayMedia.net. Um, and um, gosh, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I, that's I, I, I had MalamaChartersHilo.com, but um, it's 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 I'm I'm revamping the website so it's down right now. So uh, or, or you know GoFishHilo.com. Do you still have that one? Go fishy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So right on. Yeah. Right on. Well, Jerry, I want to thank you again. Oh, not for just being on the show, but for helping me with this podcast. And my pleasure. I'm I'm hoping that with uh, your skill set that I can continue to uh, abuse. I mean, use it. (laughs) And uh, you will. You will. You will. uh, Hopefully we can get this better and better. And we'll get to the point where I can actually have like a green screen that's not green not green not green <laughs> and Something happened, yeah yeah don't I, I don't know so <laughs> but you know the show must go on right right uh, but again i really want to thank you yeah and um my, my pleasure like i told you uh before you know it's it's a it's a team uh team process you know it's just uh as long as i get skills that can help somebody i'm gonna do it and um i just want to see you successful and 
I, I guarantee you, you're going to look back in two or three months and go, man, I've come a long way. And uh, you're going to have this thing down. <laughs> I sure hope you're so. You're going to have this thing I, down. Guarantee. I sure hope so, man. I'm not going to lie. Like, <laughs> I, I, I really hope that's the case in two or three months. I hope I, yep. I, I do. Um, you will. Why don't you, uh, why don't you take us out with uh, just uh, your favorite words of inspiration or your favorite quote of fishing or mm. both? Either your uh, mm. fa- favorite quote about fishing or your best quote about motivation you live by. Mm. Take us home, Jerry. Wow. Uh, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be let down, but uh, give a man a fish, he'll eat for a day. Teach a man a fish, he'll feed himself for a lifetime. That's not a letdown at all. <laughs> it kind of covers both bases. Right. Well, Jerry, thank you again yeah, thank so you. much. I appreciate it. It was fun. And fun. Uh, good fun. Thank you again for everyone listening. Uh, appreciate it. Um, have a beautiful day. Aloha. I like that music at the end. Yeah. Sweet. Sweet, sweet, sweet. All right. Cool, man. Did uh, Audacity record all that? I sure hope so. All right. Should have. Very cool.